This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. Musicbed represents over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music for you to license. Also, check out musicbed.com for more information on their subscription service, giving you unlimited access for all your projects. As a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. Me and Jared, were, we were both sort of prepping for this and watching a lot of your guys' work and uh, went back and watched Ken. It had been a while. So I, I watched it sort of when it came out, and then it had been a while, but me and Jared were just talking about how um, Franco's performance is crazy. I don't. I don't know if um, there's a story. It's so good. Yeah. 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 It. It definitely. The casting was an interesting one because when you start a movie, you you do the grids right of all the actors that you want, and you sort of put them next to each other, trying to get the image of what your movie looks like. And for that Taylor character, there was a lot of different people that we had talked about. James wasn't necessarily top of the list. But as soon as we had a link to him from the producers um, and we ended up, you know, going out to him, making an offer, it started to become a reality really quickly for us of like, you know, you start to go back through his filmography and you're like, well, the alien character from Spring Breakers is pretty out that's there. That's the first thing we just we yeah. were talking about. Uh, yeah. Of course, that's, that's the first thing you go to, right, in your mind. And you're <laughs> like, well, he, he definitely doesn't hold back. Yeah. So uh, that's probably a good thing. And, uh, yeah, he, he nailed it. He, he definitely brought, you know, one, I think one of the first things he said, right, Josh was, you know, you, I'm happy for you to do anything with me that you yeah. want. Like he goes, you know, cut my hair, put tats on me, do, like fuck my face up, do, do anything you want. And early on I had Photoshopped a image of him with a, like Premier League mullet from the late eighties, <laughs> yeah, and looks like uh, a Czechian like, gangster. Yeah, <laughs> and like I think we we gave him um, a, a, a fucked up eye and some some face tats or whatever, and and we had that image on our phone when we first met him, and he saw it and was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. So. Yeah, <laughs> man, that must feel nice to have. I mean you also sort of see some of the way that he works, you know, probably with you guys and you can kind of get a sense of like why he is who he is in a lot of ways, you know, like the openness or, or just that collaboration approach. I mean, what did that yeah. feel like going into that relationship? Like were you kind of, obviously you didn't know him, yeah, but I mean, uh, every know, act is yeah. different. Uh, and that's one of the interesting things about making a movie with an ensemble cast is you have to figure out pretty quickly how everyone likes to work and what they need to hear. Mm -hmm and the space mm. they need and all of that stuff. Uh, and you know, it's very different having a 14 year old kid from Atlanta that was basically his first movie versus yeah. Dennis Quaid, who we grew up with <laughs> and has done yeah. it a couple times. So you, you realize, uh, you know, some directors work in a way where it's like, you come to me, I've got my process and the actors basically have to do that. They've got to figure out what the director needs from them. But I, right. I actually find it's probably better if the director looks at all the talent he's got and says, all right, this person's not going to need that much from me. This person's yeah. going to need a lot. 
and emotionally I'm going to need to get in their heads and like, you know, push them into a place where we're going to get a great performance. Uh, it's, it's also really interesting when you're going in, you're trying to work people out, right? And you're trying to, trying to feel out how they work with you, how they work with other people. And there's a part of you that kind of wants to be tight with them because you want that chemistry to be really smooth and easy. Yeah. You don't want it to be sort of combative or, or cold. And, and so we obviously go in friendly, but, but I think James was one of those actors that doesn't, he's not there to get friends. He, he's, <laughs> he's not even particularly coming out for beers or anything. Um, this is obviously pre pre COVID. Um, he was there for 10 days. We were blessed to get him for 10 days and he was there to work. Right. So he came prepared. He nailed, nailed pages of dialogue. Um, little tweaks that we threw at him. He, he could change in one take and get perfect. He, he just really showed yeah, it was good. his level of professionalism as an actor. Um, it was pretty impressive to be honest, it, but he was probably the least on the cast that we were, you know, buddy, buddy. with. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we actually uh, became very tight with Jack Rayner, um, Irish actor. Mm. Um, and he'd done a certain amount of stuff before. We'd seen a few of his Irish films, uh, What Richard Did, um, Glassland, uh, Sing Street was coming out as we were casting him. And Sing which Street is a real movie. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. his character actually yeah. is really good in it, uh, yeah. playing this this brother that just kind of wants the best for his for his younger and uh, so that was dropping as we were casting him. And he had some really interesting stuff, a lot of dark films, a lot of his Irish stuff are pretty dark. Um, so we became pretty tight with him and, and we went out for drinks and, and we, we've got this very specific place in Hollywood that we take actors to and it's kind of become, <laughs> it's kind of become a place that we repeat because every time we do, it goes really well and everybody walks away <laughs> friends. So we're like, why would we mess that up? So let's do that again. Probably like um, the closest we have to superstition. <laughs> exactly. do, you, do you mind what saying what, what place it is? Um, is it, I, I you can't disclose I want, that. I don't yeah. know if I want everyone rolling up to this place. It's, no, don't, it's, don't, don't drop yeah. it. It's, it's a cool joint. Um, you can always get a table pretty easily and actors don't mind being there. It's a little dark and um, it's good. We, we've met like uh, up to 10 actors and brought them there and it's always gone really well. So we're going to continue that. Did you guys find this spot or did some like agent or somebody like say, bring him um, to this spot? Definitely not <laughs> an agent. Uh, I think we'd just been there ourselves and then yeah. it was like, it's got a nice <laughs> vibe. And then when... And, and, and agents do drop it on you of like, all right, so what's the place for dinner? And you can kind of throw it back in their court and say whatever you want. But we've had that go really poorly as well, where you end up at like a thousand dollar a head restaurant and you're like, eh, <laughs> never again. So yeah. usually we just say this place is out of laziness and then it's become our place that we uh, meet with actors at. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed to say um, our second dinner with Michael B. Jordan was at a Vietnamese spot in Beverly Hills that was yeah. it rather was like expensive. The final check was in like fifteen hundred dollars, maybe maybe no. more eighteen hundred dollars. Was it just the three of you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And, and the crazy thing is, is his assistant told him it was half an hour earlier than it was. So he arrived at seven, and we were late, and we walked in, he's <laughs> sitting at the table by himself. 
and it wasn't even our fault. Uh, we showed him on the phone. It's like 7.30s, the res, and he's like, oh, my assistant told me it's 7. So he was sitting there kind of like half an hour by himself. He'd, he'd ordered already. And that's oh, my the God. Worst, that's the worst part of it. Cause you and just that was the off. first time you met him. Yeah, no, that was, that, like, that was second or third or something. Yeah, but, maybe third or something. Um, but, but it was just, it was one of those things where you just got to be like, all right, we just paid $800 each to see Michael B. Jordan, I guess. <laughs> Super weird, but all right. It's a different world, man. Okay, yes. okay, question. So uh, we'll talk about everything, but as it pertains to like Canon making your first film, uh, I remember us talking on Clubhouse, you guys were saying, you know, as you start to add talent, it's like a magnet where more talent starts to kind of yeah. flow. So who was, who was kind of the first, first person to kind of come on that started to, to bring on like the uh, other talent? John, you want to go? Well, we had, I think Jack was the first, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't naturally, like he wasn't first in our list. So we'd gone down a couple offers by that time. Yeah. And I think the first time we met him, we were even considering other people. I think he yeah. even knows this. Um, so we walked away from that uh, dinner with a really good feeling about him as a person, about him as a collaborator. Yep. Um, I think we actually walked out of there and said, there's a chance that we'll come around and he'll end oh, up playing this role. Um, but we knew at that time we were still making offers to some people that we never had the right to get. Um, and, and honestly, honestly, producers weren't ready yet to go there. So yeah. we kind of had to exhaust uh, certain people and get a no so that we sure. could get to the realistic option and be like, all right, well, look, Jack's a great actor. He wants to do it. He's hungry. Um, you know, he, he's up and coming. He's kind of perfect. So yeah. Yeah. I think we were still like talking about like Adam Driver or... or Jake Gyllenhaal, so, so, someone like com with with undeniable value and all that kind yeah, of right. thing, but like busy as they come, never going to yep. do this movie. And right. so may or may not be shooting a Star Wars at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, that's pretty vague, Josh. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a couple of them on that list. Uh, and so by the time we kind of got back around to talking with the producers about, um, look, I, I think we need to be realistic with with this with this with this actor um jack's looking really really good right now and it was like yeah okay let's make an offer to him we got jack i think jack comes with a level of sort of um festival cred and and yeah, definitely yeah. definitely actor cred um like zoe kravitz always wanted to do a, a project with him um a couple other people were like oh i've heard from tony collette or whatever you were you were amazing so he kind of helped us get uh, other actors i would say yeah. at least adds a legitimacy to the project i think sure and then uh dennis quaid was next i mean wme had a lot to do with this because a lot of the talent was wrapped by wme and so you know knocking on the next uh, hallway agent door and just saying hey we've got this thing it's easy yeah. to get a yes or a no fairly quickly when yeah. you're working in that kind of a machine um, so I think Dennis was a fairly easy get. Um, we had a little Skype call with him and, and convinced him on it. Um, and then who was next, Josh? Pro probably Zoe. Zoe. Yeah. So so Zoe was we, such a great cast. I mean, yeah. That, when I saw her, I was like, 
this is so i mean she's great in everything but this sort of world like really yeah. fits her her yeah, genre she for we agree. Sure. she's 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 undeniable in that yep. sense it, um, it was someone that we we had a very very short list for that role and wow. Um, Zoe was at the top and so we knew pretty early on and we told everybody involved we, we would love to get Zoe for this role and then the hardest part is just doing that and kind of getting through her team getting past her agent all of the, that stuff because she's obviously being offered really big movies and she's being offered bigger movies right now things like Batman but um, at the time she was seeing big stuff and so if she's got four giant blockbusters in front of you that she's considering, you're kind of sitting on her desk for the mm-hmm. next month until mm-hmm. they kind of make a decision. And so it got to the point where she'd been sitting on it for quite a while and the producers were getting, you know, understandably nervous of like, we got to move on so that we can like book this role. And so we started having the conversation amongst ourselves of like, who do we know that knows Zoe? Like go down the list, like literally, even if it's someone we don't know, like Questlove from The Roots, how can we get to Questlove? (laughs) So the Questlove can say to Zoe, like, can you do this movie? Like that's kind of how some of this works. And, and, And the more we are involved, the more I realize it's who you know. And, and so we had friends that knew people who knew Zoe and we kind of exhausted all those options. And then it suddenly occurred to us, Michael B. Jordan, like out of anyone we know, Mike's gonna know Zoe. And so we just put a text in to Michael and said, uh, do you know Zoe? And he went, yeah, of course. I was hanging out with her last weekend at the Met Gala. And we were like, <laughs> Okay, that's perfect. Uh, That's exactly what we need. Um, And so he put a text in to Zoe and said, look, friends of mine, uh, there's a script on your desk um, called Bagman. Check it out. Uh, You know, I rep the dudes. They're great. And within a day, she had contacted her agent, said, I want to do this movie. The agent contacted the producer and said, it's weird. She like, yeah, she definitely is interested in your movie. And they were just like, I mean, because when, you, when you're getting cock from an agent for so long and then God. suddenly the artist actually realizes yeah. that the project exists and, and it, it might, yeah. may or may not be cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably less money odd. for them eventually. Oh. Down oh, the road. Yeah. All of the above. <laughs> and so suddenly we're at lunch with Zoe in Venice um, be, and she's amazing and exactly who you would want her to be. Incredibly cool and chill and able to hang out and have lunch uh, in a crowd. And everybody's giving you the side eye of like that Zoe Kravitz. And, and then she says halfway through the lunch, you know, I want to do your movie, right? And we were just like, no, I didn't know that until you just said it right then. Um, and then God damn it, this is a great lunch now. <laughs> and, then, and then she, one of the other conversations I remember we had that I'll never forget is she, we said, we'd love you to go platinum blonde for this role. And she looked at us and was just kind of like, I've always wanted to go platinum blonde. That's amazing, totally done. And then within a week or two, she was bright blonde and everybody online was losing their minds about how amazing it looked. And we were just like, we did that. That was my idea. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and then she was really great on set and, and, and kind of played this motherly role to our lead kid who 
you know, needed family in his life and found it in these two crazy characters. Yeah, and we, we wanted to take a role that was so overtly sexual and take all of that out of it and, and just have a relationship between her and the, the Jimmy character that was more um, brother-sister that you would expect yeah. in the movie that they would have a little romance and everything but it was much more about family more than uh, a sexual relationship and then with as Josh was saying with our, our lead character kid you wanted him to have a uh, female influence in his life that he kind of looks up to and protects him and that kind of thing so it, it yeah. was about creating the family that you want as opposed to the hmm. family that you have yeah. yeah I think I mean there's so many things I want to talk about um, but I think it might be nice for people who haven't watched the movie, um, who are unfamiliar with you guys' work, um, maybe just give us like the premise of the movie. Like, how did it, where does what's the impetus of sort of the idea that you guys created? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it came from a short film called Bagman, which we made in 2014. Came out in 2015. Did really well. People liked it. Um, more than that our agents sent it out to a lot of people and so people in Hollywood started paying attention and the question we kept hearing was what is the longer version of this short <laughs> and at the time that was pretty obvious like we had a feeling that may happen even though we didn't make the short to make a movie um, towards the back end of the visual effects which took a very long time we basically sat down and said well look if we get asked we're complete idiots if we don't have an idea that we want to tell and so what is that idea? And it came down to a story about brothers. And the short was not about that, but this short had these other pieces that we wanted to carry over into the story. Um, this kid, um, this black kid specifically, and this giant plasma rifle from another dimension that feels like it came out of a Halo game. And, and that in itself, what Josh is describing, really was the impetus of making the short. It was about we are as filmmakers interested in so many different things and genres and little pieces and let's try to create something that has a duality to it in terms of tone um, something that feels like it's multiple things it's not just easy to box into one category and so the short was really about taking people's um, preconceptions of a genre of a style right. of, of black storytelling and characters and flipping it and and you know literally flipping it yeah. Um, and, and so the short was really successful for that reason, especially with black audiences who hadn't seen, you know, too many sort of black lead characters in sci-fi settings and that kind of thing. And we got a really beautiful response from, from that. And I think we've always looked at ourselves as um, outsiders in this country mm -hmm. and in this industry and our responsibility to really push um, interesting, unique stories, but also uh, diverse stories, and and put you know characters that don't often get the chance to be the lead of a of a of a movie or a short or whatever. And I think it, it being all before Black Panther it was really rewarding for us um, in the circles we roll in and and the things we're interested in to to feel like we had a part to play in that little shift uh, in the industry of you know, um, more diverse stories being pushed to the forefront and having a little little tiny sort of part to play in that. Yeah, and like John yeah. was saying, the movie was made in a pre-Black Panther world and we knew it was coming and we were smart enough to know 
this is going to make a difference in a big way. Black Panther specifically, not Ken. Um, and then Black Panther got a February date and we were hoping to get a February mm-hmm. date. And so it was interesting that we'd been locked for a good five months or something. And we were looking, we were trying to get our date going and it could have been early in the year. Or it could have been in August, the end of August at the end of the summer. And they ended up putting us at the end of the summer, which is not an amazing place to come out. Everyone's already so, seen their giant movies. Um, and then your little humble film is trying to get people's attention. It's really hard and, and probably affected us of where we ended up on the calendar. But it was interesting that we came out in a post Black Panther world where everybody was very interested in making yeah. diverse content and having a movie like Black Panther make the money that it did, everyone's eyes suddenly opened to this kind of storytelling. And so it was potentially good for us to come out in that space. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to see how America changed the way they released uh, black cinema at that time. Um, really really interesting and it's played out into where we are today in a in a different way again and we're in a very diverse marketplace where we weren't before and it's a great thing we should have been there way earlier yeah i know we're jumping around a little bit but to answer your question about um kin so it 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 very smoothly evolved from the short film into a position where the, the short represented us as filmmakers, our style, things we wanted to push with, with our agents and our team. Um, and so once the industry was kind of aware of something that represented us, um, we beat that out into a story about brothers that Josh was talking about and went and found partners and financing and all of that. And it happened quite smoothly and quickly, I would say, um, from, from sale to shooting it was probably a year, yeah. yeah. You know, which is pr- pretty quick. But Kin became a, a, a story. It was really important for us to keep uh, the young black protagonist in the story um, a- along the way. Again, I'm not ashamed to say it. There were a lot of people that we came up against that were offering us financing or um, to partner with them that would say the very obvious and and sad version of can't the kid just be white and we we're like yeah nah we're not doing that and we really gone. yeah yeah, yeah occasionally in different conversations usually we're involving you know if, if there was a black actor that came up and and then we were like well the dynamic of the two brothers really wants to be pretty different and so <clears> we, yeah. we definitely saw like a, a black white thing and they were like we'll just make the kid white and you're like, uh, no. Doesn't no. work like that. No. Yeah. I mean, like, think about how we would be seen if we've made a, a little indie short that gets the chance to make a big Hollywood movie and then you whitewash yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, apart from that not look. being where yeah. our hearts were, it's just like the most cliche, obvious sort yeah, of it's, it's industry just decision. It's interesting anymore as well. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of movies since 1982 where the white kid gets to find the alien plasma rifle and it's like, you know, I've got no interest in making that one again. <laughs> right, you know, yeah, right. sure, sure, totally. So, so it became I mean, a, sorry, go for Joe. I mean, what is the... That's Christian, John. I know they've got I, this I, 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 they've got a no, giant... I just, 
Love I, know, I know I just did a twin thing, and that happens to us every day. But I thought this is Jared funny because me and Jared do look like brothers, and you guys <laughs> obviously look like brothers. I mean, that maybe gets to our biggest question: like, how how did you guys meet? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the womb. Um, it was very dark. Well, I, was, I didn't want to get off topic too much because I think it's an interesting... I don't want to go over that subject too quickly because I think it's an interesting thing to sort of ponder on. But, like, yeah. why was that so important to you guys? Like, what, what was the well, why was sort what? of... That brother relationship looking like that specifically, and not uh, just, not just, being just able to change it. Interest level uh, as a director telling a story, we you want as much conflict as possible, and the conflict comes from them not being blood brothers, them not right. looking like blood brothers. I mean, exactly. even if yeah. they were both black characters, I think they could. There would be a little bit of kinship dare I say, um, just in the way that they looked. And I, and I think we wanted to play with a story where these two characters were from very different worlds. Um, Complete and had nothing, yeah, nothing pulling them together at the beginning of the movie. And by the end of the movie, they have this bond hmm. from joint experience that is what the movie is at its heart. Yeah, I, whether you like or dislike the film, I think it's undeniable that it, at the very end when Jimmy kind of just gives him that little nod and, and drives away in a police car, you, you're like, yeah, they undeniably love each other. They're, they're brothers. They're, they're there for each other. And he's, yeah, they both realize spoiler, what the relationship spoiler. is. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> by this fucking time, if you haven't seen it, the <laughs> biggest spoilers we're going to be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I think, no, um, it's great. Yeah. I think one thing that I, I you guys have a, um, uh, obviously you've been playing with special effects a lot in your career in a lot of ways maybe it kind of prepped you for this movie and obviously you, you continue doing whatever you do but like um, the special effects that you you guys do are like in the concept of the the film you know what I mean it's not like a, an added thing obviously there are added layers of elements but like the special effects is sort of built into that I would love to know like any advice that you maybe gained from that whole experience and for me personally I think you know in just the commercial stuff I do or yep. special effects stuff I do I want to learn more about sort of how you guys think in the prep process of making sure those are right I think there's a lot of advice man um, we've been doing it for many years I, I want to stab it over 15 years um, playing with visual effects and post in general as part of our live action work. What I learned on this was that your relationship with your visual effects, animators, producers, all the creative team is super important. And if you walk into it with a use and abuse mentality of mm. um, the way that, you, that it could come up with any crew member, you're not going to get the best out of them and, and the project is not going to go in a great way and you're probably mm. not going to get the repeat business that you would prefer later. And so we chose a visual effects house called the Image Engine out of Vancouver and they'd done some pretty big movies but in the grand scheme of things, they weren't a giant shop. They were a, <laughs> probably, I would still say, a boutique visual effects house but they'd done 
District 9. They'd done the mm. robot from Chappie. They, they did Elysium, so all of that stuff with Boom Camp. They did uh, Jurassic World uh, Raptors running through the grass. Like beautiful, beautiful sequences from giant movies. Yeah. Game of Thrones dragons, all that type of stuff. Um, but we chose those guys due to their work, but also because when we were looking for visual effects companies, we found that one of their visual effects supervisors we'd worked with in Sydney uh, at a previous company called Fuel, who had done some of our early work. And that connection, yeah. that human connection, where you are like, y you know who I am and I know who yeah. you are, makes for better work and makes yeah. for better visual effects work. That's, um, uh, we can drop his name, dude. That's uh, Dave Morley from... Um Australia. He's an Aussie guy and super talented. I think he, he's moved on from Image Engine now, but really, really talented uh, visual effects lead sort of supervisor. And I think the way we approach every facet of filmmaking is to find that connection Josh is talking about <laughs> and and have that person almost feel like we're making the movie together. Like yeah. you you and us, man, like this is this is the relationship that's gonna make the movie this, great. This is mine, this is yours, this is all of ours. And I think that relationship, that 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 feeling was what Kin was all about. We had people from every department say to us at the end of the movie, after they saw us a year later. There was something special about that project. There was something mm. where we all felt like we were making like a cool uh, high school or, or university project together. Like it just had yeah. that feeling. Yeah. Where everyone we, we, we was say, trying to make it their best. We often say it's like the most expensive passion project we've ever yeah. done. You know, because <laughs> it's all, it was almost the same ethos as the short film. Yeah. It just had, you know, Hollywood money. So you know you whether it's the editor whether it's the dp whether it's the production designer you kind of like you know you and me dude we're making this together um yeah and and so many people left it like josh was saying saying that was my favorite project i've ever worked on <laughs> because yeah. there was this level of energy and enthusiasm and passion and and grassroots and, 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 and like, fun too and, yeah. and fun. And so if you how can capture you? that vibe, then honestly, I, I just think that's how you want to move through the industry. That's how you, you want your projects to go, where people feel emotionally connected to the work instead yeah. of just being like, this is just something I'm working on. So you get the best right. out of people. I mean, I didn't answer your visual effects question. I feel like there's a million other things, but right. that, is one, that is one thing that really jumped out to me, that if you can find a company that wants to be involved in the way that you want to make it as well um that that really works for us yeah and just in terms of practicalities like we it's a it's a massive cliche to say that you know the best visual effects is kind of based around in-camera stuff i know i know ian was talking to you guys a little bit about that as well um but looking back on kin as an example there was no green screens in that movie it was all wow. a mixture of practical special effects and visual effects. So, you know, an example being the hay bales in, in, the, in the field that he's blowing up and testing the rifle, right? You know, we, we're obviously leaning into pyro, we're blowing things up, we're, you know, adding lighting effects that travel down, uh, you know, fishing line to like light up the environment. We're, we're doing as many things in camera as we can so that literally all we have to do is the pulse 
and the plasma blast in visual effects yeah. and everything yeah. else is in camera. That, yeah. That's just a, a rough example, but you know, even down to the uh, the ice portal. Spoiler alerts! I think we've got an ice, <laughs> an ice portal. Uh, when that sort of doorway opens at the end, we were shooting in the coldest December of Toronto. We had actors that could not physically get words out without shivering. <laughs> we had like intricately positioned heating fans around them that were turned on when the camera wasn't rolling. It was like a really brutal environment to work in. And we had uh, all of the windows of this police station smashed out and snow outside that we had to physically clear from shots and sometimes in, in visual effects had to clear because it was in Nevada. It's meant to be in Nevada in the desert, not meant to be snowing. <laughs> and we're like, and so, it gets cold in Nevada at night, right? <laughs> so we had snow physically being sucked because of the, the, the airflow in this place sucked through the windows into our set, realizing that this is all helpful because we have a fucking ice portal over here that all of those little elements, whether it's the frost coming yeah. out of the mouth, whether it's the sort of <laughs> particles of snow in the air is all adding to our pretty cool, realistic world that we're setting up here. Yeah. And so... A lot of things were done in camera that you may even think were, were done in visual effects. Wow. Yeah. Um, this can apply to, to visual effects, but also like any other department, I guess. Um, you know, as a director, like working with different teams that really have their own like kind of language and vocabulary with like within like their specific niche that maybe you don't speak. Um, maybe walk us through whether it's visual effects or maybe even like music or sound design or whatever uh yeah kind of like being able to walk into those different worlds or departments and have a conversation like where they understand mm -hmm. you and, and you understand question. them yeah great question i mean early on in our career we've, we've talked about this a little bit but we're, we're pretty um dp slutty we we like mm. learning from love, as many love a DP. We're, not only are we super passionate about what DPs do, and and we love, just super slutty, yeah, uh -huh. just just slutty in general. Um, <laughs> but no, we 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 love photography. We've always come up in that world, and so yes, we love what they do. But we also love learning from different DPs. Mm. We're we're definitely not an example. Is is Ian Pond's jewel with Moro? Like he tends to evolve that one relationship and really like go all in on it and every job they sort of learn from the last one and all of that we much prefer and we use multiple dps uh, time and time again but having said that early on in our career knowing that we were young directors at 22 23 24 the way we did it was hiring someone that was in their 40s 50s even yeah. 60s at times. I worked yep. with Russell Boyd, who had just won the Academy Award for, for Master and Commander, and I was like on my second shoot ever. Um, <laughs> and so you're learning from these greats as you go, and that was our film school. You know, we never... Yeah. We came through design, motion graphics. We were, we were definitely on the sort of design side of things, the visual effects side of things, the post-house side of things. And so when you're stepping into the production world as a director... That was our film school. That's how we learned hearing stories about working with Russell Crowe and, and shooting, you know, underwater in choppers, all of these like techniques from these great DPs. 
And, and so we did and the same. When how we came else to the are you going to learn the gear? Um, how else are you going to learn what shots right. uh, mean what? Um, by, by being there on set and, and, and having those conversations and even in the early stages, I mean, I definitely remember before me and John directed together, we directed separately. I remember working with this DP in Sydney and shooting 35 mil for the first time and uh, having cranes on set for the first time and not wanting to admit that this is the first time for that stuff. But pulling the DP aside and saying, look, I got a lot of questions. And he was like, yo, hit me, whatever you need. Let's just figure it out for you right now. And so just quite quickly, as long as you're open to not re realizing you don't know everything, I think there's just right. so much to soak up and learn with some really you know, well-placed questions to some well-placed people. Um, so some of the early DPs in our lives really helped us kind of in that film school way of getting us uh, educated in film language. Mm. Um, there's, 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 a, there's a lesson um, that I've learned in my marriage uh, that applies to the film industry. Um, it's a little phrase that's uh, no, no, no guilt, no, no, no blame, no shame, no guilt. And if you can find a partner in whether it's a DP or whether whatever it is, we're talking about DPs right now, that if they can create an environment where you don't feel shame by asking certain yeah. questions, that it's a very safe environment, um, then you can soak it all up and learn things super quick. It will take you two shoots to learn how the politics work, how the camera works, um, how what each of these people on your team do you know yeah, all, of, all of these best boys and shit that you just like uh, all right i need to know <laughs> what all of you guys and girls do i don't know um but that's a really quick way to learn if it's a safe environment and yeah, so we tend definitely. to we tend to have a no asshole policy and and hire people that are just cool humans that we want to hang out with yeah. and yeah. that sets it up from from the ground level I would, yeah. I would love to know, you know, you guys spoke about how everybody on Kin had this sort of uh, magical experience. It felt like I want to know what practical things that you guys have done, you know, in on sets over the years to sort of foster that that type of uh, set. I think we can be better at it. I think it's a it's a learning curve. I think our weakness, if I if I want to be honest here is that we uh, have got our own sort of ecosystem going on. Yeah, there's two of us, right? And so we have to be really careful that we're not sort of mm. concentrating on each other and yeah. <clears throat> respecting each other and everything and not thinking about the people around us. So it, it's a constant learning experience to sort of find the best ways to bring people into that, that relationship and to have them feel super inclusive in it and involved and communication and stuff. I know that there are definitely been sets, whether it's commercials or, or days on the film or whatever, that you, you tend to sort of, we're not super outgoing personalities. We're not, we're not those cliche, you know, bubbly, talk your, right. your ear off sort of personalities. So we can tend to just like, I just, I care about the art of it and I care about 
the craft of it and I care about my tight relationships. But we're not going to be on the microphone every morning going, welcome to set, guys. You know, it's just, that's just not us. Um, whereas there are a lot of directors that do that, you know. Yeah. Um, but but so, I think if, if you can use every interaction with every, and I'm thinking the movie, I'm thinking cinema here, um, your heads of department, the way that you talk to them, the way that you approve things, um, you're just fostering an environment that everybody knows they're not going to get in trouble for small things. Right. I think there is just an environment to set up that is very human. And I've heard a couple of directors talk about this recently. And I, th I, th I hope it's something that really is, is catching on and becoming the norm because obviously before that, a director has a reputation and, and that kind of, it doesn't even have to be a screamer, even though me and John coming up heard all the stories about the screamer directors. And so that, that was kind of where we were coming out of with 90s and 2000s directing. Yeah. It kind of is a cliche for a reason because there was a lot of people that kind of, um, and I've heard Tony Kay talk about this on, on Clubhouse that like all the people he looked up to as how to be a director were like that. And so it trains you into the, well, that's for sure. That's yeah. what I need to be. Well, that's just not the way it, it is anymore. And I don't think it, yeah. I don't think it needs to be. There's, there's way, there's a lot younger directors. Um, there's a lot more directors in general. Um, so you're going to get a lot more nicer directors. And but the industry is also going through a change. And that is like, you know, that level of abusiveness, that, that level of, um, you know, male superiority and all of that is just being sort of like shut down. And yeah. so a lot of those cliche directors, you know, fuck it, I don't know. And um, guys like Brett Ratner, people like that, they're just, they're just <laughs> not working as much as they were because people yeah. don't want to be around right. that. It's yeah. like there are too many talented, nice dudes and, and that, that don't do that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, so, I don't know. I think that answers your question. I mean, that's what comes to mind immediately for me. I also think just the level of humor. Like, if you can go into it where it doesn't feel like the most serious day on set ever and every... I mean, I know on our commercials, like, we love to have a laugh. We love to, um, right. you know, have that type of set. And so, it makes a big difference. People enjoying what they do. People going mm. home that night and going, I want to come back and do the same shit tomorrow. That's a big, that's a big part yeah. of it. There's a lot of sets, a lot of movie sets, TV sets, where people hate their, their job. The pe people hate the set that they're on. Cannot <laughs> wait to get off this set. Yeah. That's not what you want from your, from your key crew. Even you're not your key crew. Like anybody on set you don't want them to have that um you're not going to get the be best work out of them i don't care if you think fear rules um i'm sorry you're wrong yeah is there an example that you guys may have of like a nightmare on set and maybe what you learn from it mm. maybe not on can but just on anything sort of no, i mean yeah, yeah I, mean, John, I can think of one off the top of my head i mean we got? had uh the color of the truck on our on our movie um You'd think it's a pretty simple thing where you just like choose a Pantone color and say, that's what I want the truck to be. You do it with your production designer. It's a, it's a creative decision of like- And DP. And DP. Yeah, and DP. Um, this is what we want the truck to feel like for whatever these reasons. Um, we had someone who was in charge of the truck and it was their job to find the truck, um, find doubles of the truck because you need multiples. 
um, for all the different things because you might be shooting in one and then you're also sending out a drone with a B unit and they're getting some exteriors at the same time. And so you're like, you have doubles in the truck, driving a truck around in a different part of Toronto while you're shooting it. <laughs> so very important things that people may not think about immediately. The guy whose job it was to paint the truck just wasn't, didn't have attention to detail in the way that you need on a movie. And so he took away our Pantone and it was his job to color the truck, get it painted. And he came back with, and I'm talking like a steely, desatched light blue was what the truck was in the movie that you, that you guys saw. Um, not saturated in any way. The truck came back and it was like, okay, the truck's sky painted. Blue. Sky like periwinkle blue. Yeah, bright <laughs> sky blue. And we were like, that's not the color of the truck. Wait, it, wait, when, it, when did it show up like that? I mean... Like on the day? Uh, no, no, definitely no, not definitely on not. the day. Nothing happened. <laughs> well, nothing should happen on the day. Right. But like right. a, week, a week before, in, in the way that if we don't get this paint repainted, we got a real <laughs> problem for day one kind of thing. Yeah. And so it came back and he was uh, he chose to say that's that's the color and we were like no it's not and he went yes it is and we were like this is becoming an issue and it became a massive producer issue where everybody got involved he dug his boots in and said no this is what the, the pantone you gave me and we like compared it to and it became this like giant thing that sucked up everybody's time in a way that it really shouldn't have and, and, and the, the, you know, production designers, they're going, let me handle it. And then it's like multiple going back and forth, trying to get this truck painted a very easy color. And so things like that, I remember that like took a lot of, uh, it made us really nervous on set leading into a week before shooting because these problems are, we, you, you don't want to handle yeah. Um, you shouldn't be handling. There should be other people, but we had to step in and make it a big deal. That happened every day. That's the yeah. type of stuff you have to deal with but every that, day. That's an example of a screamable issue, right? That's 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 a situation <laughs> where a cliche director yep. would come out and scream at the dude and say, "What the fuck is this color? That's not what I told you." All of that. So and or just, you're fired. Yeah, that's just an example yeah. of like a, a, a small, a relatively small, no one's like got hurt on a stunt or something like that's just a very small issue that you can just have a little bit of respect to someone and patience and, and yeah. you know, get through it without screaming and firing someone. But yeah, that happens every day. Jared, do you have this, uh, before you go, Jared, do you have go this, ahead. and tell me if this means that I'm a psychopath, but like when something <clears throat> comes up, that exactly like that like if i was in that situation and i saw the car or saw the truck my first instinct is to laugh yeah. like really hard well, that's, that's probably a good thing dude. no no is that's that doesn't feel like it's a good thing <laughs> it feels oh, like yeah. sort of a i mean i wouldn't thing. i don't i don't relate <laughs> i don't really it's not like i'm laughing at like yeah. it's not like i'm i'm just like it's pointing it's and laughing at the guy defensive sort of like <laughs> It's putting him in a circle of people and yeah. <laughs> You fucking idiot. I mean, dude, there, there are definitely moments where you just, me and John looked at each other and laughed, like, how yeah. are we in this situation? This yeah. is not something that we woke up thinking was going to happen. But, like, on the most part, it is all feels like the most emotional end of the world <laughs> scenario you could deal with in that moment. And so you're trying to, like, 
bottle up these little things and say, okay, that's not a big problem. That's a medium problem. Let's not, yeah. let's not get yeah. too... But yeah, your instinct as a director generally is like, don't mess up my movie. And so yeah, you're trying it, it, it to be happening to me at, 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 at as many points. It, it, was, it, it was interesting because we came through the school of self-work in design into music videos, into commercials, and, and yeah. we're kind of leveling up the pressure and the importance uh, and the budgets, right? So we, we've started at desktop level and we got to, um, you know, $5 million, 19 day shoot commercials with private right. jets and like crazy pressure with clients and stuff. And then we got into the film game and it wasn't until we stepped into the first day of directing or the first day of, of uh, pre on the film that you realize, A, this is really a director's medium. Like this is the first time that we have felt as filmmakers that everybody, including yeah. the producers, are staring at you and want your answer and the buck yep. stops with you. So even on a commercial set, you know, you, you're trying to work out the relationship between the agency, the client, and, and it's their idea, and you, you pitched on it, you won it, you know, you're here to add your vision. But at, at the end of the day, it's not yours. It's, it's all, it's co collective. Yeah. Whereas on the film, it really <laughs> was the first time that you realize, wow, this is like, this is eternal, what we're making right now, this lasts forever, everybody's gonna yeah. know you did it, it's number one on your IMDB forever. This is, <laughs> this is, this is important. Right? I'm just, I'm just sacred, watching, sacred I'm just anyway. watching Chris, Christian's face. He's getting so giddy over there. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. Yeah. Let me, like, so, yeah. so Christian made, he's still like in the middle of it, but shot his first feature like uh, over a year ago. We're selling um, it. We're, we're, we're in negotiations right now. Yeah, it's yeah. happening. Uh, and I, you know, I'm still in the midst of trying to get one off the ground. And yeah. that's like a conversation that Christian and I have had is like, he's like, dude, this is it. Like making a movie is like it, you know, like everything else is like, you'll get, cool you'll get to like, the, ahead, you'll get to ahead. like the first day or whatever. It's it, like when it's your movie, you just have, I, I know I felt it, but I was like, you start shooting like a couple scenes and you're in the day and you're just like, I should have been doing this from the time that I was fucking yeah. born. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But, but look, there's two feelings to that. There is the feeling of liberation of yeah. this is mine. It is so quiet behind me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's the feeling of it's mine. If I don't, I could, fuck it up. I could mess <laughs> yeah. this all up. Like, and there's, you, there's no scapegoat. Yeah, yeah it's no, you. No, there is, is, there is no one yeah. backing you up other than the other dude that looks like me. Um, <laughs> and, and looks like you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's no one there to like protect you and so you better have done your research and you better have prepared and you you better go into it to make your day that's why okay. we we felt so comfortable doing our first film because we had done individual shoots collective shoots together uh, yeah different levels of pressure for for over a decade that by the yeah. time we got there there was at very least there was a confidence on set of being how the machine works even if yeah. we didn't know the politics you can between, make a thing yeah, yeah. yeah completely we knew how to build it even though we didn't know the politics of the studio versus 
you know, our producers and what, you know, what's the difference between a producer, a co-producer, an executive producer, all, all, all of that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. you learn. But in terms of like being able to run a set, we had that confidence. And yeah, yeah. that's everything. Honestly, that's everything. And I don't know how people come and do their first movie and they've never directed anything. Like, yeah. I, like some of these writers that are coming up and, and transitioning some of these actors that transition right. i'm like okay at least the actors are beat on set yeah the but actors like some are, of these people yeah. that step in and they're directing for the first time and it's a movie i'm like whoa i don't envy you at all because yeah you want to have that experience level that you'd be like i can make a thing and i know yeah. it's going to actually turn out okay and i've been yeah. through the process and this is just another one of those you just have to like retrofit it in your brain of like okay it's just a really long music video whatever did you guys see molly's game by chance yeah definitely that's I was shooting when it you said that shooting our movie um, it reminded right. me of like aaron sorkin like making mm. that transition was yeah. very interesting to watch I'm not yeah, sure it was successful sure. but very interesting for sure um they were actually editing that in the room next door to us that we were editing wow. um at the same time weirdly enough yeah, um, Jared, sorry i cut you off that's okay um <laughs> you guys are really polite with each other yeah we yeah. love each other yeah, it's so sweet to watch just wait till you guys get off there's gonna be a lot of screaming yeah. um <laughs> we're, we're screamers when nobody else is around um it's good to know uh i'm, I'm curious not, like i'm working on this tiny little personal project right now that's like no money and uh hmm. and you know i had this location that i really wanted and i don't think it's gonna happen mm-hmm. and that feeling of like things starting to slip away, you know, um, mm. like what you have in your mind starting to slip away, like whether it's like an actor maybe that has to drop out or a location or whatever crew or whatever. Uh, I'm curious, like through the process of being in a film for so long, making a feature, how often is that happening? Like where something doesn't go right and you feel like it's slipping away. And then how do you deal with that? I mean, it, it happens constantly um there were locations that for some reason fell through and we had to be adaptable there's you know i I think all of filmmaking whether it's the tiniest little spec project or or a big feature film it's about compromise right and it's about making the best of the situation you currently have in front of you not the one you planned for not the one you storyboarded Mm, yeah yeah. um not the one you talked about months, months ago it's about uh, what you have right now in front of that lens um, because we had so many situations that didn't turn out the way you had in your head and the way we planned it from uh, you know things like locations falling through like I said or it could be your actor going through something in their personal life that mm, you know yeah. comes out it influences what yeah. yeah you know we had, uh, we had a moment where Jack Rayner was losing his mother which was his grandma that raised him um back in ireland she was in a coma from memory josh um yeah i mean let's not get into too much personal stuff but basically he was having some real hard shit going down with the people who raised him back in ireland and he's while you guys are shooting yeah, in yeah, Toronto, yeah shooting a movie um his character is someone who doesn't have a mother. His character is yeah. someone that is lo- losing or lost his father. 
um, and has nobody and that's the headspace that he's in while this is happening in his personal life it's it's hard man and it influences the movie and you're like you've got to be human in that moment of like yeah. of yeah. not just being in your little echo chamber of the film you've got you you've also got to realize that you have you're working and collaborating with an actor mm. that is having some real life stuff going on at the same mm. time yeah but you're also trying to protect a film and a story and, and, a, and a project so it's tough that stuff is real yeah and it's, yeah. it's really hard to be going through that kind of an emotional real world family situation and then you know have charisma and tell jokes yeah. and be funny on on screen it's like Definitely. There, were, there were days that we were like it's not landon he's just not in that headspace like yeah so yeah a lot, lot of things you're dealing with man but that's i that's mean kinda... one, one small version of that yeah. to to enhance john's story is that um uh, he ended up going back to ireland halfway through the project for a few days um for personal reasons and the producers were very nice enough to let him go which is tough because then he's obviously got to come back um and so that has to go smoothly continue if if something were to happen you know on the plane like that that's a problem for the movie so no producer is going to want that to happen but they were nice enough to let that happen um and uh he ended up um having a random accident and came back with um a torn up lip and you're like okay how do we deal with it for the film purely from a on-camera perspective how do we deal with this and you'll and 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 we were very lucky to to realize that his character in the movie had just had the shit kicked out of him in the strip club by a bunch of muscle heads something you guys had already shot something we had already shot yeah wow and so the next scene or, or the following few scenes he had this lip where you could see when he was talking that he had like a damaged lip and it wasn't on the outside as much even though there was a little bit but he essentially had like a version of a stitched lip on the inside and we were so lucky that his character <laughs> in the story needed that and right. so it actually played into the story in a really good way but it just made me think of all the millions of stories of actors getting hurt um on sets and whatever and then you have to deal with that in the next scene and have it work from a continuity perspective a la uh, uh, brad pitt breaking his arm in seven you know so So when he's getting running he was running across a a wet uh hood of a car um, slipped and went through the windshield with his elbow and he like either cut or broke his arm during seven and they had to put a cast on it and the whole deal and that's why he's got a cast in the movie for multiple scenes because it's like you got to figure that out <laughs> wait tell us your james franco story real quick oh man that, i mean that, that that was hard to deal with because it was the first day we had james and he was so oh, i remember this story now yeah we talked about the clubhouse but for, for your listeners uh we james came to set we only had him for 10 days and so we were in a very rushed situation of like okay we need to cut your hair into a mullet we need to apply body tats <laughs> we need to pick your wardrobe for at very least this scene and maybe for the next coming scenes put an um, eye and, in and and put a, a contact lens of the eye in that 
no one can even tell uh, that the character has in the film because it was so <laughs> subtle. But he was wearing he was wearing contact lenses for every day of the shoot. He was quite committed and prepared. I remember I have a photo in our in our making of photo book of the movie that he's sitting there with his little sides, getting his his hair cut and everything. And so we get on the set, and the first setup we have is he has to clear a table. He's sitting there depressed after his brother has been killed, and he flips the table. And uh, first setup we're shooting with him, he, he wipes the table clean, and this ceramic ashtray hits the wall, it bounces back, and cuts a like two inch gash in his forearm, like right right there. First take of the first first, first like take first of scene. that, yeah, of the first scene we're shooting with him. And we were just like looking at the monitor, we're like, damn, he put it all in on the first take, that's amazing. <laughs> When we looked at each other, looking at James Franco on the monitor, and we're just like, we're making a movie, dude. This is legit. This <laughs> yeah. is legit. And he comes over, and he's just like going, like looking at his arm, and we're like, you good? Let's go for another one. And you can see this wound open up to the white meat on, on his oh arm. Oh, my God. And he's just like, yeah, I just, just clipped myself there sort of thing. And my <laughs> face just went white. Like we just broke James Franco on the first yeah. shot of the first scene with him. And we just, yeah, strapped it up, banged it up. And he, and he went again immediately. He's a trooper. He, wow. Here's that moment John was talking about. Yeah. Dude, amazing. But, um, it, it was just one of those so moments where you're like, okay, this is legit. Like, I can see how people get injured on set just because you push them to do yeah. something and then you feel responsible. But we, the whole set's here, the whole crew's here. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving. Yep. This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. We had the chance to sit down with their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, to talk about why Musicbed exists and how they're helping creatives further their craft. We felt like there was all these indie filmmakers and a ton of indie musicians and they needed each other. Um, like we all know, like the best films are a marriage between the moving picture and music. I view it as an ongoing ecosystem that continues to, you know, increase the value of art that continues to allow artists to support other artists. Thanks again to Musicbed for sponsoring this season of Good. As a good listener, you can get one month subscription free if you go to musicbed.com good. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Here's their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, again on what makes Film Supply the best stock footage resource for films. The footage being licensed is the footage coming out of passion projects from filmmakers, and, and it's because it is the most authentic, cinematic, and it's, the, it's all the stuff that all the filmmakers have put all their blood, sweat, and tears into. And it shows, like you look at a clip and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a motive, I wanna use that. The guys that just go out there and shoot a day for stock, like, that's not who we are. I mean, that's not what we're about. Like, we're about helping filmmakers fund passion projects and seeing the footage from these passion projects actually get used in commercial ways. Thanks again to Film Supply for sponsoring this season of Good. With Film Supply, you can license stock footage from world-class filmmakers like El Ginter, Diego Contreras, Massio Frost, and more. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. By the way, I like how I like how both of you guys have the exact same uh, amount of scruff, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> 
Uh, we planned that uh, prior. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, Christian, you are basically halfway through the process of getting a movie out. Yeah. And Jared, you want a movie to drop in the next year, I'm assuming, uh, in yeah, your heart. I, I'd love in your to heart shoot heart. in the next six to eight months, something like that. Yeah. Totally. So, my, I guess my question to you guys is, what is what is your process of gathering ideas so mm. that you have a movie in your back pocket when the the chance comes yeah i mean i'm dealing i'm definitely dealing with this right now i think um how my brain works is a lot of just research on things that interest me and usually the ideas that i'll come to like I just shared a, a completely new idea with Jared like a week ago or something mm -hmm. that kind of came very randomly but I think a lot of it has to deal with me wanting to be ready to do anything not just a certain type of budget you know I don't I don't want to yeah. overestimate um, how long the process will take in order to make yeah. that one movie I want to make that's probably going to cost $25 million to make, yeah. you know? So I want to have ideas that I truly love um, every part of it that could also be made for a million dollars, you know? And then keep the ideas. I, I think the way that ideas sort of get to like an actual treatment phase for me is like if they stick around in my brain for a good year mm -hmm. or two, you know, like if I can't get rid of it for some reason, I think that's a, a good sign Definitely. that um, there's something about this idea that I that I can kind of bring all the way. You know, I think that's essential, man. I think it needs to be something that you can't stop thinking about. Yeah. And this story is not going to get told. And that's a real problem for you. Yeah. But I get I mean, Jared's yeah. probably Jared sends me so many things that I'm like, when are you writing this fucking, like, <laughs> when are you getting time to just do this? Cause the, and, and you guys uh, know Jared's, yeah. <laughs> and you guys know Jared's work too. It's like his treatments yeah. are fucking way wilder than the stuff that he usually gets to make. So I'm like, you know, he, he probably has, um, you know, I won't speak for Jared, but the way he uses Evernote and the way he collects ideas and just makes, he's very good at like making something really quick that mm -hmm. makes sense. And you can see the world and, cool. and then sort of going on. I don't know, Jared, what you would say about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Christian. I feel like, you know, the, I, I finished a script about a year ago <clears throat> that I wrote for like three years. Mm -hmm. Um, and have kind of come to the conclusion that it's just too expensive to make first. Um, at least with where I'm at right now. And so mm -hmm. it, Christian and I talked a lot kind of like the second half of last year about like, is there a smaller movie that you could make now pretty much? And um, I think what I said was if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars, you would make a movie, right? Yeah. And you were like, totally hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, which Not me really personally, hard. but like <laughs> yeah. just a scenario. <laughs> You're just giving out 100K. Right. <laughs> Does anybody have a project that they just want to do? Personally, I'd, I'd put it into Bitcoin, but. Uh... Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why I have the 100 grand. Oh, good, good. good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I, same as you, Christian. I'm sure you guys too. It's like um, I had these ideas. I, I really just came up with a, a new thing, like a new kind of concept that I know I'm going to write in the next few years. 
but literally just kind of like came out of thin air over the past couple of weeks. But like uh, mm. the the one that I'm chasing down right now that I'm I'm really in the middle of, uh, and looks like you know maybe it, it may get made in the next year or so, uh, is a story I've been circling around for like a decade. You know, mm. just like mm. the root of like this story that I've written out and like different kind of outlines or different kind of synopses or whatever mm. and it's just stuck around you know and i think mm. that is something that i i feel to be like pretty important is like there will be ideas that kind of come and go but the ones that for some reason are just like nagging you know mm. just like yeah. certain, go away there's certain ideas that like go for there's certain ideas that um i feel like and i'm sure you guys feel this in your own work there's certain ideas that i feel like I'm the only person that would make that movie. Do you yeah, know what well, I'm saying? But that's a that's an amazing place to come from because right. at the I end think of it's the day, important. Yeah. The, the the first thing we'll get asked when we're pitching on a project that may not be ours or even ones that we're presenting to someone else to finance or whatever, the first question they pretty much ask is why is this a movie you should be telling? Like, mm. yeah, you got to have an answer for that. The, the way do. to make a project personal to you as a as a filmmaker your voice your style why is that right for this project Um, that's something we talk about a lot whether it's someone else's script or whether it's something we're developing and that that opens up the conversation of story whose stories are for, for what filmmakers and it's a really tricky conversation and one we probably shouldn't dive into here but it's a, it, it's something we think about a lot. Talking about that. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, I mean, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but I, beyond that, even I mean, gender, uh, experience, yeah. um, the country you live in. Yeah. There's a million of them, and and it, and I. It's a tough one. It's a real tough challenge for for. A filmmaker of like should i be telling this story yeah. or should someone else be telling it um and there's arguments on both sides yeah. uh, there's also yeah. extremes uh, as well like you know should should uh should jared make minari probably not you know right um <laughs> right. should so Josh shoot uh black panther yep again look bad look probably not <laughs> yeah but I, not, even, not even bad look i mean it is a bad look but 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 like there is there is 10 other filmmakers out there that would just tell that in yeah, a more authentic more to it. way yeah. Yeah. And, and have a personal connection to it that I probably do not. But then as a filmmaker, do I have interest in small subcultures that, you know, right. like I would, I would love to make a movie like uh, Sound of Metal, but like I have yeah. no background in that subculture right. in, in the, you know in that personal but experience but can't that come out of just pure obsession though does yeah, it have yeah, to absolutely. be connected? absolutely look that's part of the debate of like can yeah. john look at sound of metal and go the, the the culture of someone who is deaf mixed with the culture of someone who has come from thrash metal that's really interesting to me i want to dive into that subculture i want to do all the research i could possibly do and i want to tell a story in that because that touches my heart that's one side of the argument and the other side of the argument is you know fucking nothing about it You, you you have no purpose being here telling that story let someone who and and that's where the problem is for me of like let someone who 
look, if it's a mm-hmm. studio looking for a director and they're saying, right, let's right, get right. our list of directors together, I start to understand that argument. But if it's a story that will never appear ever again, because I thought of it, but I, I don't have a connection to that subculture, but I'm interested in it, and someone else is thinking you have no reason to make that movie, well, then that movie is probably never going to get made. Yeah. And I, th- I have a problem with that. I, I think you can have interests. You can have, uh, you can be inspired and touched by a certain story to be like, I want to learn everything I can learn about that. And then personally experienced it. Exactly. But it's hard for me to, because that feels like empathy to, you know, like, like being able to understand and like, like, 100%. You know, like that feels like. I mean, but, the, but Riz Ahmed ha- just jumped into that. He didn't know anything about being deaf. He didn't know, he didn't even play drums. He didn't. Totally. Well, but, but, but a he, little different for an actor. But, 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 right, yeah. but why, why can't the director sort of, you know, I guess it's yeah, a. I, I hear that, that argument. That, that's, part of, that's part of the conversation, too. I mean, right. if we look deep, I'm sure Riz has got some flack for, for not being deaf in real life and taking the opportunity. Him from, as a drummer, I'll give him some flack for playing the drums, but he did a pretty good job. It okay. wasn't. I mean, I guess I'm <laughs> just saying. Look at look at both sides of that conversation, right? Another example is Sia's movie, um, music, right. and yeah. having a, uh, an actor that wasn't autistic playing someone that is, and taking the opportunity away from an actress that is actually autistic that is trying to work, trying to book gigs. Sure. So. Again, a very, very tricky argument because I I see that side of the argument for sure. But as a filmmaker, that's, I mean, I have a trust level with this actress. Um, I think she would do a fantastic job. We have a, we have a um, back and forth from working together for years that like, uh, maybe I even thought of this idea for her because of something she did. You're forgetting a whole range of personal experience as to why she made that decision. And and the only thing you're saying is, oh, she's not autistic. She can't play that role. That's like very binary decision in itself. But also in in an industry that is about make believe and, you know, you don't have to be everything that you play. (laughs) That's the whole point of what we do. But the the extreme side of that argument is... Uh, Scarlett Johansson being cast in Ghost in the Shell and people saying you're, you're whitewashing it why didn't yeah. that go to a yeah. Japanese actress so like right. the, we've just talked about the shades of all of the conversation and mm. I find it really really difficult to know exactly where I stand because I, I do wish a Japanese actress was cast in Ghost in the Shell but I also yes. look at Riz's performance and go you crushed it and you learned from that experience and you stepped into a subculture and you were part of that and you did your research yeah. and you didn't phone it in. So like, and so John, the difference is, is, is culture versus like a, like a, a subculture, you know what I mean? Like a, yeah. uh, ethnicity or whatever. But, but like, the, the, go ahead. Go sorry, ahead. sorry. I keep no, interrupting. No, no, I, I, like, I like your, uh, everyone has I, I so like much to say. <laughs> the, the other extreme that, that I've heard recently that I absolutely don't agree with is Daniel Kaluuya um, right. in, uh, in Black Messiah. He's like, that's what, because he's English? He's a black man from England. He can't play. I mean, come on, guys. Come on. Like, where's the argument? 
Yeah. See, see, like, come on. I, I think that's going to an extreme. And like John's saying, this is this is a world of make believe, and this is a, a one of the best black actors in the world. Yep. Why can't he play that role? But I guess I, we brought it up because that that comes into the thinking in a modern age that comes into the thinking of the st- type of stories we want to tell where we want to push the boundaries on people yeah. feeling comfortable with stories that we want to tell and and that could be as simple as uh casting a young black lead in our first movie and it basically falling into a category of, of black sci-fi if you will and there was definitely people online that's like, why are two white Australians telling that movie? Shouldn't that be a black filmmaker? So that that comes into the conversation. And then mm-hmm. if we're talking about stories that are set in certain cultures or certain countries or um, are about certain subcultures, then are we the right people to tell that story? So yeah, and this is a challenge that directors are going to have to face uh, for however long for the rest of time. And it's something that's coming up in a strong way right now. And I think we're swinging the pendulum um, from one side to the other. And it's, it's really tough for a director to know what he's allowed to do in that yeah. respect. Yeah. But I think one thing that really interests us, me and John, is finding stories that feel unique, touch us personally, we have an in, we have a way of telling that story. Um, and, and, and as you said, Jared, that we empathize and there's a level of empathy with the, the, the story, the characters, whatever it may be. That's how we choose all of the projects that we want to be involved in. And it, it has become a little trickier because a few of those stories are not about white twin Australians. Yeah. So <laughs> just a couple. Yeah. yeah. And you hate to be, bi- I mean, that's one thing is like, I'm interested in so many things, much like you guys are, I'm sure. That like yeah. it it's um it's a scary sort of like idea that I might not be able to do this or that down the road. Yeah, yeah, you no, know? but th- yeah. that's also sure. a very white male privileged position to come from, right? That's that's a I mean at the same time I'm not trying to make like a Biggie Smalls movie or like a you know, like I'm not trying to make like a I'm not trying to yeah. go into a culture that I literally don't know anything about. But if there was like a culture of, you know, some sport that I can't play that's like I, I want to embed myself in this sport and understand everything about this event that happened in this sport so yeah. I can create Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the joy of filmmaking, yeah. but I guess my response to you was just that's easy for the four of us to say right but, sure. if you, but if you look at a female black director that has felt like ever since she picked up a camera she's been boxed in a certain type of story and can't sure. make yeah, yeah. you know guardians of the galaxy or even uh, a smaller film like prospect or something like to for us to feel like how dare you tell us what stories we can tell is is that's a privileged mm. perspective so, yeah it definitely is so i think we we all have to be aware of that and sympathetic to uh people that don't look like us trying to tell different kinds of stories yeah. as well you know for sure christian if you have a unique biggie smalls movie in you <laughs> i'd be very interested in hearing what it is Me too man but that's, that's a, a good idea. example. Like uh, my good friend <laughs> Emmett Malloy just directed the Biggie Smalls doc on Netflix. Did a fantastic job. He is certainly not the guy as a as a 
white surfer Californian to tell yep. a, a deep sort of Brooklyn hood <laughs> Biggie Smalls doc, I would have never put those two things together. Um, and he made a great documentary. But he did a great <laughs> job and, and really embedded himself with Biggie's mom and went to Jamaica and you got in with the grandma and all of that and got in with little C's <laughs> and all of the friends and suddenly the duck is, is a beautiful thing. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Agreed. It's not one that we have on the show at all. So it, this is actually pretty refreshing yeah. to just kind of talk about it. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Flash round. Let's do it. Lightning what do you got? I always get caught off guard. I have to like, have <laughs> he hasn't memorized it. Accessible. All right. This <laughs> is a, I'll start it off, Jared. At this point. Yeah, go ahead. What's your biggest pet peeve on set? Ooh. Um, I mean, simple, obvious answer is ego uh, for me. It's, I think ego gets into the way of everything. Um, that's why we try to sort of collaborate with people that uh, it's not about them. It's about the work. and It's about pushing the story and the characters forward, not, not their intentions, creative intentions. Um, uh, for me, on a commercial set, it would be an illogical request from the back row of a, can we get one where? <laughs> yeah. um, can we get one where? That's we, like the best. We, we wanted to make t-shirts that was, can we get one we where, get- dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I don't mind getting a, uh, could we get one where, but if it's a illogical, could we get right. one where, where the entire crew turns around to look at the monitors, like that's not even how the set works. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, that's uh, also an interesting um, de-evolution of film sets, especially commercials with the COVID Zoom era is that it's can, rough can, right can we get one where it becomes even more illogical because mm. they have no concept of the space the geography the space. of the set the we can't put the camera back further because there's a wall there right so, so like yeah that's even more a level of trust is needed man yeah. i've had i've had trouble with um yeah like clients do you know like on q take or whatever uh really not in agencies like not really being able to like judge performance very well like because they're seeing the monitor but like it's something about being in the room like i had a situation where like i i knew the actor was like he was he had it he was he was in good shape just needed some direction and they were like really freaking out like Mm -hmm. that he was like awful Mm -hmm. and i it, it was some kind of disconnect with like them not like feeling the room yep they were like they didn't see, I don't know, there was like, they weren't able to kind of see that he was like actually really close, just did like a few tweaks. I don't know if you guys encountered uh, that at all with- uh, Absolutely, we just had it. We just had it on the last ad that we did. Um, client and agency sitting on remote. Yeah. Um, we ran through a bunch of performance. The, the actress didn't have a lot uh, to do in the entire commercial, but she wasn't amazing. Um, yeah. It was definitely their pick and not our pick. Everyone who was our pick did 
great on set. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it was someone that they put in for other reasons. We weren't amazingly comfortable with, but went with it. And then, of course, we had issues on the day. And we ran uh, 10 minutes worth of takes doing this certain thing and cameras moving throughout the whole thing. So it's uh, infinite amount of moments. And, and I got to the end and was like, all right, the ratio is low, but it's there. Oh, we and we got, we, we've got it. Yeah. And we heard back, the, the notes were literally nothing we've done is usable. And I was like, okay, that's a confident, confident statement from somebody sitting on a pixelated monitor yes. in another country who chose this bad actor in the first place and is now <laughs> shitting on her performance. I was just like, I mean, look, I, I went up to the screen and said, no, we got it. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 I think we cast really well. I think one of our strengths is that in the room or on Zoom casting, we, we see something and when we both see it, we know yeah. that we can get that on the shoot day. And so... Okay, please tell me about that. I, I want to know more about... Yeah, specifically for commercials. I'm curious. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys have um, telepathy, by the way? Really, uh, oh, that's a <laughs> I mean, whole you, you, say it, you say it like I'm a asking. joke. I'm asking. I'm not joking. Yes. And I think it's just a shared taste level, a yeah. shared experience. If you do it for... You know, we've done it for 42 years, but we've also done it on film sets for over 15. Gosh, you guys do that not look like, 42, man. Mm, thank you, Yeah, bro. God, you guys look yeah, young. I was tired this morning, man. Uh, well, you look pixelated this morning. Your, your tree is mad pixelated. Uh, That's how I feel. But, but no, it was our birthday yesterday. I'm um, feeling really pixelated today, guys. Yeah. Shit. Um, what was I, I saying? Look, Sorry, Josh, I fucked that I, I whole thing. When man. we see someone collectively and we know that they can do it in the room with all that pressure, with all people looking at them, and, and like yeah. auditions are the worst things on the planet. Oh, for it's an the worst. They're, they're, the, they're the worst. I and feel so guilty the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what I really uh, struggle with, we both struggle with, is when you know that that person is either bad or not mm. right for the role. Yeah, I struggle yeah, yeah. giving them one take and saying, thank you, see you later. Just as a, on a human level, on a confidence they level. They know. They know, yeah. we they know. know, everyone in the room knows, but I gotta give them that second take because I want them to walk out of that audition feeling like that wasn't the worst day of their life. Yeah, they yeah and they weren't, abu they weren't abused, emotionally yeah, they abused in the room. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, like, how, much, how much are you like, uh, how much direction do you give them at the top? Do you give them like more direction, like maybe second or third take? Well, first, who is sort of giving? Yeah, yeah, direction? yeah. Who uh, works with the actors more? Often, John in the casting sessions does, but like it, it, it could go either way. And on set, so we cool. usually take turns. To be honest, of like uh, you do the next whole sequence or whatever. But, That's um, so sick. <laughs> man, the, the, the number one rule with a partnership, especially in directing, is respect. You have to, you have to work every second of every day to not put the other partner in a situation where they feel like it's not theirs and they have no ownership on it. And you also, mm -hmm. you, you're, you're trying to avoid resentment building up. And if you do it for long enough, there's always going to be something. And so you're constantly trying to sort of yeah. just release that valve of like resentment because you, you yeah. don't want Josh to go, dude, you think it's yours, you yeah. came up with the idea, you ran the session, what am I doing here? What am I, you know, that's the last yeah. thing we want. Definitely, yeah. and, and I also don't want other people on set to look at our dynamic and go, oh, well then Josh is definitely running this shit. 
But yeah, that's, not, yeah. that's not fair because I know that's not true. I mean, we both contribute uh, evenly on concept, you know, from an idea level all the way to on set to post to whatever. And yeah. it's best idea oh, wins Josh, and it's very Josh, even. Josh is the director. He's just kind of pulling Jonathan along. Right. And like, you know, yeah. that, that yeah, it's the whole Coen Brothers thing. That, that yeah, it's I, like, even the Coen Brothers thing of like, he does this and then yeah. he does this is very unfair because that's right. not actually <laughs> not how true. it worked for us. I mean, it, it is quite even. And on a good day, John might run an edit session to, because he's got like, he's just on fire and everything he's doing is like making it better. And, yeah. and then and then other times it's gonna be completely the opposite. It really depends on the days. So you've just gotta be open to that like flow. But we're talking about four different things at the same time right now. I feel like there's yeah, a bunch that. of stuff let's, left on the set. Let's get back to casting. Yeah, I'm just personally yeah, very curious gonna, about sorry, that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me answer the casting thing. For me, it is less about seeing it in the room. I don't think I need to see what I want on camera. And I think it's very important sometimes to see it. And there are definitely moments uh, in commercials and on film where you are gonna have them do something. And if you don't see it, you're just an idiot because you may get there and they can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, that could be as far as riding a horse. They're not gonna be doing that in the session. <laughs> Yeah. But but you want to know that they can do that. We, we, bit, we call it actors and their special skills. You know, they'll list uh, volleyball, skydiving. You know, juggling. <laughs> Dude, I, that's my favorite part, man. And so, yeah. Jared, you should can, you should tell that kid's story though, Jared. Oh, uh, we I I did this thing for I did this like hockey spot, and this kid showed up and uh, for the LA Kings, for the LA Kings, yeah. Um, this kid showed up and was supposed to know he's supposed to be like a hockey kid you know like he just like loved hockey and uh so he shows up and we strap on some uh ice skates and get him on the rink and he's i mean oh, never skated, never skated in his life never skated and never even seen ice <laughs> this oh, is like <laughs> we spent two hours with someone just like with their you know arms under his his uh you know oh, okay. under his just like trying to get him comfortable on the ice and uh cool. it was a nightmare yeah, and we were okay. getting yelled at by by the you know the set teacher for like you know overworking Abusing this kid, this kid. And, <laughs> I, I legit got yelled at it was and the, guy, the set oh, teacher man. was huge that, <laughs> yeah that is, that kid's is, a liar the kid's yeah. a little Straight liar up. yeah you Straight lied up. what am i gonna do <laughs> i mean dude you, i don't need to see it in the room but what i do need to see is uh and this is very instinctual and it's something that it's hard to actually probably put a finger on but I need to see a personality where I want to be friends with that yeah. person. And so most of the time you're trying to get someone that comes across good on camera and you're not casting a villain, for example. But, and, and definitely this goes for commercials because of a lot of stuff you do, you, you're doing like lifestyle stuff, whatever. You just need it to be real. You need it to be spontaneous and real yeah. and kind of likable as much as I hate that word. So there's an instinct that comes with that of like, I can talk to them for two minutes and come away and probably be pretty accurate telling you whether they're a good actor yeah, yeah. or not. And it just comes from a confidence, mm. comes from, a, yeah. from a, uh, a personality. It comes from just a pure like likability coming out of their pores. But it's a, All for, of for me, stuff. it's also a sense of creativity, like knowing that yep. yeah. you can come up with spontaneous moments in the moment 
that feel honest and feel real and and Definitely. not everybody has that and so that's why in a casting session we'll often prefer to just talk to them and interesting even if it's the you're casting not, you're not running takes well we can like but the, we worst thing, the worst thing is seeing a tape that is the role is someone you know a chef in a kitchen and so it's a silent take of them yeah stirring something in a pot Dude, and then no. turning up. Like, it that tell tells me nothing. What I would prefer is them talking with the casting director and saying how long they've been in the business, what they prefer to do. I just came yeah. off this TV show. I, I like yeah. horse riding. You know, just, just talk to me. Skydiving, ice skating. If they're going to be a chef in the final ad, then t- tell me about the best restaurant you've ever been to yeah, with the exactly. coolest food experience. Yeah. I'm going to get more creativity off how they tell that story, um, what they choose to tell in that story of like, oh, okay, you're boring as hell. Like I did, there's nothing about you that I'm like, gra- I gravitate towards. But, yeah. But if I can see that you're like, and it's kind of like speed dating. It's kind of like someone's coming in and you're going, do I want to spend time with this person? And and a certain level of creativity comes across in that exchange that I'm like, that would translate on camera. And that's all it is. That's why I think we cast well. And when we cast, uh, uh, you know, 10 people for a commercial, I feel really confident going into that, that I'm not going to get maybe one out of 10. I'm going to get some ex- surprises that I didn't expect. Bro, and I'm like, but t- okay, tell me, it. tell me about that. Cause I have definitely cast people mostly virtually like where I will show up on set and I'll be like shocked. One, yeah. like they just they look can't. totally different yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, it's like, just their ability to i don't know i'm just like whether it's their presence or like even their appearance like or they lock up or on whatever. camera or something yeah yeah is this is this they're doing a normal audition on camera for you or this, this isn't casting off head shots and stuff right uh there's some of that too i would say it's a wide variety of experiences that i've had where i think i cast pretty well too but it's like i definitely have had moments where i'll show up on set and i'm like Wow, they're just even yeah. just their presence is much yeah, yeah, yeah. different than I definitely. But that's expected. because that's a, a lot of because you haven't been able to get a a, a grip on their personality. And, and yeah. so, look, when it comes to extras, headshots, it's a crapshoot. Like, I don't know, I, I can't do off headshots for extras. So, yeah. extras will rock up and you'd be like, damn, they're amazing. And we actually just shot with yes. a bunch of yeah. in Mexico City where I was like, these extras are fantastic. Like, there was barely a bad one in the bunch. But yeah. on the most part, some extras can be a real crapshoot and they could rock up and you'd be like, who's that? Like, I would never have cast that person. <laughs> that, that's and, an yeah. example of ne- try your best and never cast off look because. It, yeah. it is all about that chemistry. It is all about that uh, definitely creativity. And so we will cast, and we're talking commercials, and this is the most shallow casting of all time <laughs> because uh, yeah, the, the, the scenes yeah. usually have no depth to them. It's not about <laughs> yeah, a just story. Someone looking at their phone. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a moment. We're creating moments. Yeah. Moments. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the stereotypical casting from uh, clients. Well, firstly, agencies, but then even worse, clients, because a lot of the time it's just about shallowness. It's about we need more diversity, so we need exactly. an Asian in that role, so just here's an yeah. Asian, put them in that role. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the worst way you can do anything. Is Meat, meat market, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I would say we're good because we get that 
confirmation that they are creative and that they're a cool person and that they have a personality, they have a confidence in front of the lens. Mm-hmm. And so then whatever we tell them to do on, yeah. on set, we, we feel like they're going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. Agreed. After any full day casting session, I am going into my shoot 100% confident that everyone we have on there, if they've been selected, are great. We're in great hands because you just, you've got, that guy was funny. Yeah. That girl is like, it's just so witty. Um, like that older lady, like she just had moments, like just constantly yeah, had yeah, you go yeah. in with this level of confidence where I take that off the table of your concerns and you rock up on set. And I would say majority of the time, if our cast got through and got approved, I'm like, yeah, see, that's why she's here on set. She's amazing. And then the yeah. least confident that we feel going into a shoot is when you hear back from the agency, well, we presented it to the client and guys, I mean, there's been some rejiggling around of the cast <laughs> and, and so they'll send us the final sort of grid of, of the cast yeah. and you'll be like, oh wow. Like I didn't do anything. She was horrible. Yeah. Like yeah. I remember her specifically <laughs> and that was like, yeah. 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 So, so you're going in there going, all right, you, you, you made your bed, now we have to sleep let's in see, it. Let's see what happens, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, that was... Sorry, that was question. lightning round number one. <laughs> Let's keep going. No, we'll do, uh, we'll do four, dude. That's why we, no, we, we kind of did. We do night. We didn't. No, yeah, we didn't I, I jumped the gun. Well, yeah, fine. and we've talked about it on Clubhouse a lot. Yeah, maybe um, we need to start cycling some questions. Yeah, some new ones. Yeah, it's um, okay. Okay, I'm just going through these here. If you want another nightmare, I can give you another nightmare. There's plenty of nightmare stories. To, give us a nightmare to... while I'm looking for the next question. I do have them in front of me, Christian. Just, you know. Yeah, what's the what's the biggest nightmare you guys have ever had on set? And what did you I mean, I can think of one for every genre of filmmaking out there. Um, <laughs> music video. Uh, yeah, give we us a music video one. We haven't talked about that Music much. video of, a, of, of one of Australia's biggest pop artists, Guy Sebastian, in a park in Sydney. We had a grand piano out in like a central park uh, on the pathway that he could play and he's really, really good. And it was a very expensive piano and it started to rain in the way, in the way that you do not want it to rain. Like it's too heavy for camera even. Um, And it was just like, laughable it was it was actually one of those moments where we like sat back and we were laughing laughing. and we should not have been (laughs) laughing and we were just like this could not get any worse from a weather perspective and and the entire crew were under those were jammed in under those little umbrella things there's nothing worse when you're all jammed under the little tent and you're all just standing there shoulder to shoulder and it's cold and your shoes are getting soaked and you're just like that's and you, what does not happen. Like, standing shoulder like to shoulder. <laughs> I feel like that's the day. Like, I don't know how we come back from this because it's a, a low budget music video, you know, 40 grand music video, whatever. We don't have a weather day. We're not coming back tomorrow. Uh, no one's paying for that. Uh, and, and we have a grand piano over there that someone's going to be very disappointed <laughs> when they see it. Oh, oh my God. Did the, did yeah. the piano get trashed i mean dude someone's trying to throw stuff over it as quickly as possible but i'm talking about torrential storm coming in that is like unstoppable and like just not what you want when you're shooting a video in the park with like sunlight coming through the trees like 20 minutes (laughs) i have a, a a recurring image in my head that is that moment right and it goes back to me in elementary school 
we had this thing where we went to a small school where the whole school was probably like 150 people and the sixth graders from my memory had to run the assembly in the morning and do the little speeches and play the, the school anthem on a, on, a, on a tape deck. And so you had to be prepared. And I remember playing all the way up to a minute before the bell rang. And it was my day to run the school assembly in front of the entire school, the entire teachers. And I remember not knowing where the tape deck was, not knowing where the microphone and the stand was, and in the moment of the entire school sitting there running around and trying to find all of those items and then late getting to the front, pressing play and it not being the right part of the tape, just just being yeah, completely ill-prepared in every moment and having every set of eyes on you, like this is your fault. Yeah. That, and that's that's a feeling that comes up when, um, when those kind of scenarios are yeah. set or whatever, you're just like, it's back to that moment where everyone is looking yeah, at you it's, it's, and it's everything's a true going bad. Panic. Yeah. It's a panic on an emotional level that you're just like, I don't know how to fix this okay, right now. Let's, let's, let's like tweak this just a little bit. So less like uh, act of God, torrential downpour, but yes. more like your example, Jonathan, like give us an example of like you guys just screwed Drop up. Drop Maybe a lear- yeah, learning lesson. Um, uh, oh, that's a hard one because I, I think the fact you just don't screw up that much. The fact that <laughs> the fact that there's two of us is a little bit of a fail safety safe. net. For like, sure. Yeah, yeah. You've got to really fuck up hard for, for, two, <laughs> for people two people to sort of like not see something coming or to like be so much in that elementary school moment of me of like being in the spotlight alone. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's looking at you. You fucked up. Like that. There's two of us, so it loosens it up a little bit. I'd also say you're quite protected on a film set from that moment because everything's being talked about a million times. You have a first AD who, if he's a good one and you got a good relationship, he's backing you up and he's taking mm. bullets for you and he's like, he's making sure you don't have that feeling John had. Um, even uh, early I on, even early on, like maybe when you guys were doing stuff by yourself or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just getting rid of the movie. I was just saying, like that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I definitely, I feel like there's images in my head of like being in the middle of a performance and it falling over, and it, and then you are the only one that can kind of keep it going of like they need you to help yes. it flourish and you're like i'm out i mean that there's just this is not working and i've definitely had those moments i can't uh, think of any specifically a lot but of the time it comes down to the actor in front of the lens right and if yeah. you cast properly yeah. that, that's rarely going to happen the things can fall yeah. apart around them but at the end of the day if you've cast right you can find a moment in anything like uh, our friend Lachlan Milne who shot uh, Minari did a wonderful job on it he was telling us about one of his favorite scenes in, in the movie was just looking over and seeing Stephen smoking and he just said give me the camera and they just went over and he just sat with him and did this portrait stuff of of the father character smoking and, it, and it's so beautiful it's so gorgeous it's in that mm. right hour of, of light nothing is around him and he said of course like as soon as he grabbed the camera went over then the sound guy ran over and then the producers ran over and everyone <laughs> else ran over and it became this like thing we're shooting a scene now whereas 
he's an Aussie that comes comes from music videos. That that was just like yeah. the the yeah. most organic moment that we all know that like it's just mm. grab the camera and start shooting yeah. this beautiful thing because the way the light falls and the cigarette and whatever. You know, let's talk about that for a second because that's really interesting what you bring up. The idea of a film shoot getting too big for itself mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and killing the spontaneity of just a thing in front of the camera and a camera. And that's a real frustrating thing for a director yeah. that the, the idea, the monster of the production killing the product. Um, yeah. And, and so obviously there is ways of doing nomad land that is a very minimal amount. They probably had what from that group photo I saw on the making of there's like 25 people or something. Yes. It was like very small and you're that's all doing it that's for real. The entire and, thing. Yeah, that's the whole crew. And you're like, and you're trying to find the, the idea is to find these spontaneous moments that are loosely scripted in some ways and other things you're just like coming up with based on the time of day and all of that. That's the goal. Yeah. But that's really hard to do when you're on a $30 million studio film. Yeah. That's really hard to do on a $100 million, almost impossible. Um, you're not doing it in a Marvel movie. That's just not going to happen. Right. I don't, I'm really interested what Chloe doing her Eternals, doing her Marvel movie, how that translates because that's the type of filmmaker she is. So how does that translate to a Marvel movie? Because Marvel is directed five times before it comes out in the cinema. Yeah, it's, I, I, it, I bet it translate really, really well. Like I'm it, sure it, it made might, a lot it, of people yeah. nervous, but like yeah. for us the, on Kin, there were moments where we said, I want you to block out half an hour to an hour when we're at that location because Larkin and us, we're going to take that kid and we're just going to go for a walk. We're just going to walk through yeah, the woods yeah. and we don't know what we're going to get, but we're going to, we're going to be by That's ourselves cool. with the, with the boom yeah. guy and we're just going to find stuff. And we had producers looking at us like, that's not how movies are made. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand what you're saying right now. And so we would try to find those little moments that are just like Bagman, the short film. It's just like, camera and us and an actor and we're just like walking on a on a rail line and just finding that stand by me little moment because yeah. we've all been there right we've yeah, all been there yeah. when that magic and it's working and the time of day is doing its thing and you're like god is on my side right now and <laughs> yeah. making cinematic gold and it may not be you may just get it back and go oh, the footage is like nice but like the moment that you're feeling um with the actor and the ca- and and the dp and the time of day is all gelling in this way that you're like, ah, this is what I want it to yeah. be. Yeah. And always I want it to be like the this. The hardest thing about making a movie is finding that truth when everything is so fake. So fake. Like everything yeah. is yes. so set up. We, it is we know we built this strip club. It is just thin painted plywood. And yes. like yep. we just put this music on now and we're trying to like we're telling extras you have to walk from the bar back this way and keep doing it and that's that looks so artificial <laughs> and like you just you're just trying to find truth and i wish but honestly isn't that why movies suck a lot of the time is because it's, you it's haven't been able to take away the artifice and make me believe that we're doing something really 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 yeah important and well, real when i when i and, shot my last short it was it a big part of it was like <clears throat> me writing a script 
I, I've done shorts I, before where they're very loosely scripted, and I was like, I'm, I want to write like a script and be really yeah. like prescriptive about how we shoot it, and like really kind of like restrain myself and mm. and shoot what's on the script. Uh, and I think we did that, but there were moments like where I was just feeling like I needed what you what you explained, just like taking the camera and the lead and just going and like shooting a few things here and there. Mm. And some of that stuff is is the most iconic stuff that we got mm. was was mm. that and i think there's some energy and you touched on it like the truth of it is like yeah i'm not orchestrating this you're not like within my orchestration this kind of like yeah. you know fake construct we're both kind of like not sure what's happening but it's just unfolding in real and time we're rolling. and, and we're we don't, rolling i don't have an answer for you you don't have an answer for me i i'm totally. not there's not like this, like you said, like this artifice. It just is this kind of like, I guess, like we're doing this and, yeah, we're and it just it. feels we're like... It together. And, yeah. and that is the magic of the road trip film. That is yeah. the magic of, the, of, of that genre is that you can create and invent these moments that feel like, how did that happen? Yes. Um, yes. Peanut butter wolf. Um, Peanut butter wolf. Falcon, my bad, is not a wolf. It's a falcon. It's a falcon. <laughs> um, uh, stand by me. Um, all the classics from top to bottom that we grew up with and still come out today. And I, and I would say Nomadland is one of those. Don't you feel the, like she needs to have this space in order to be to do her thing? Or is it just a way that she makes those type of films? You said like Chloe? Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I definitely think she... I mean, it look, is interesting. I don't think there's an answer, but uh, she's know. got a method, and that method it works for her. Right. And I don't even necessarily think it's the perfect way. It's not something that I'm like I I want to do that exactly the same way. It's just kind of how she does it. But I think what she does do is capture a spontaneity, and that comes across on film. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. I felt that in Minari in some ways. Uh, I I I felt that. A couple times recently, uh, Sound of Metal had... Well, that, that kind of stuff well. tends to, like, elevate the other things that maybe do feel more, like, manufactured. Yeah. You know, it kind of, like, brings Absolutely. the whole thing up, you know? Absolutely. And, and Nomadland had some manufactured moments. Of course they did. Sure. It was a script. Yeah. Um, it's just she manages to kind of inject this level of, like authenticity spontaneity that just like we went out to this thing and we did this thing and that's what we got and it, it what it does show me is like it sounds like you had a lot of time yeah. they may not have but it feels like you had a lot of time because if that moment didn't work you didn't put it in the movie and if and if you went out there and you got this okay that's what you got or if you got this that's what you got yeah. it's, it's an kind example, of an interesting way of making movies good, good perfect example of that is american honey and unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. they just ended up putting all of the moments in the movie, um, <laughs> hence why it was three plus hours. But like yeah. the, the DNA of that level of filmmaking felt so yeah. authentic because it was just let's get in a van and go to this location and see what happens. And you, yeah, all you dudes just know what you're doing or just come up with it in the moment. Um, yep. and, and I think why Kin is what it is, is because we love that kind of indie filmmaking and we love genre sort of summer yeah, blockbuster yeah. filmmaking and we wanted to find where those two meet and can, can we tell something that feels very textural and 
and authentic and honest and, and character focused, but also has cool nerdy sci-fi visual effects in it. And I don't think it was a hundred percent successful by any means, but I think it really represented us and our tastes yeah. as filmmakers in our first project. And it was ambitious yeah, and it was, and it was, it's holding, we holding it together with like string and, and, and tape at, at times. And, and at other times we feel like really expensive and big, mm. but it's, but it's honest. Oh, I mean, John, you're right. We definitely had moments that were both. There, there, there were moments of like, man, this is a expensive Hollywood movie. We're doing all the things. And then there was other moments where it was just like Larkin, yeah. you and me yeah. walking yeah. through a warehouse in Detroit with natural light, not a single lamp up and an actor and just and, and and Miles was just creating stuff and we were giving him little guidance and little hints yeah. of like head over there but he was creating these moments and yeah. we were capturing them and you're like my god I hope we're rolling like yeah. and and those two things is what I think a director gets off on right like yeah. Yeah. You're, one, you're making a movie and the other you're just capturing reality and if you can and that's what the experiment of Kin was of like can we inject that indie spirit into the slightly bigger high concept sci-fi and have them live in the same world. And the people who lo- love both those things really liked our movie. And the people yeah. who are like, nah, I just wanted another giant summer blockbuster yeah. and you gave me this miracle <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, boring. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a really selfish endeavor to make a movie and it has to be, right? Because you have to, yeah. That's, inject yeah. yourself your voice into the story and it needs to ring true and if it doesn't if it's a failure and so yeah. there were moments like josh was saying that we were full stunt crew which like police shootout we're like <laughs> flipping actors over the bonnets of cars and like smashing out windows and we've got sci-fi visual effects set up over there and it felt like we were making Guardians of the Galaxy. And then there were other moments that were just so Nomadland. And, and that's, it's the two of those things combined that we were learning what we love about yeah. movie making. And we're experiencing, you know, someone told me that Steven Spielberg said he, he didn't feel like a director until he'd shot his first shootout, his first gunfight. Mm. And mm. there was moments where we were doing that, just feeling like, man, yeah, we're doing it. Like, mama we made it yeah <laughs> we should uh we should probably uh, say uh you know a little congratulations to larkin for uh becoming part of the asc i don't know if you guys saw that um congrats that's pretty he's, cool he's uh all- he's a close friend and he's very a- super talented at what he does yeah um okay last one guys um gosh okay this is, we'll kind of end on this uh what's something you would tell your younger self starting out Ooh. like like uh like kid twins or like um early director twins early directing yeah. early director yeah yeah um this is where the editing comes in yeah definitely um let's <laughs> just make it a time uh, lapse look, there's there is a bunch um let's let's try to try to boil it down to distill it down like one thing (laughs) well we get one each john so uh Um, (laughs) there's double the content already (laughs) i i I would say um 
you cannot you cannot play down a level of research and preparation and respect and you know you don't have to succeed in this industry by being what you have in your head as the cliche director is and I think so many so many younger directors and so many directors from previous generations like we talked about before were sort of went to the school of like now I'm in control now I'm in command I have to Mm -hmm. be the neurotic artist wanky sort of director that we all know to to be to have control to have people's respect in the industry all of that and I think I would say to my younger self like be be yourself be brutally honest with who you are and the kind of stories you want to tell because at the end of the day that's what it's all about like you are telling these stories and they are attached to you they are associated with you and that's that's what you're going to become known for and so you don't want to be known for the wrong thing you don't want to be known for selling out you don't want to be known for being an asshole to your crew you don't you know there's so many directors we respect and love their work but you hear from DPs or you hear from producers that's just like the nightmare to work with. Mm. And I just don't want to live my life that way. Uh, mm. So I think we, we've gotten to a place where I think over the years we've learned that you don't have to be that way. You can actually be a good human being and uh, yeah. you know, right. people walking away from working with you and desperately wanting to do it again. That's, that's a fantastic. And, te- and telling everybody they meet, you've got to work with those guys. And, and yeah, whether it's awesome. commercials yeah. or whether it's movies, you know, I think repeat business is actually a real blessing. It's yeah, people yeah. wanting to do it again. That's, that's amazing. If you can go through the nightmare, the war that it is of making a, a, a movie and people actually on the other end going, mm. what an experience. I want to do it again with that person. That's, yeah. that's like the best you can get. Mm. Especially times like these, you know. It's like there's so much li- so much less work going around that everybody like you you just can't get away with that shit anymore. It's super you know? competitive. Yep. There's so many people doing yep. it. You know, you, it's really hard to sort of you know block out and and make your own lane and have people want to work with you and then to the there to be enough projects that feel like you and that represent you that you're able yeah. to do. Like it is a really competitive. Game. Mm. I, I don't want to um, sound all like back in my day, but I'm 42 now, so I can a little bit. When we were directing in the mid 2000s, and we we started directing in the mid 2000s, what it felt to me from a peripheral visual kind of landscape was like I was in the desert and I could see another director far over there. And then there's another one over there. And there's another guy here that I know. Now, it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like we're all standing in the desert together and <laughs> anything that comes along, we're, both, we're all sprinting towards it at the same time. And there's a very, very specific visual difference between those two things. and. It's just in my head, so I don't even know if that's accurate or not. But that's how the industry feels to me 
and the way that it did feel. There was, there was not that many young, young, young directors in their 20s. I mean, there's always the Damien Chazelle's who's like under 30 making really great stuff that's going to the Academy Awards. But like, it was not the norm to have in commercials or feature films, guys in their young to mid 20s. And now there's a lot more of that. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a ton of people being given the opportunity but also being given responsibility of like a giant car ad with a ton of budget or a major Hollywood film. And you're like, man, how did you get that at 25? Um, when we first came up, it just felt a little like we were in the minority and now it definitely doesn't feel like that. So all that means I think for directors now is there's a lot more competition. So you better know what you love, you better have done your research. Um, you better be advancing yourself as a director to be better and better every day because there is other people out there doing it. If you're not, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real quick before we get off, is there, um, do you guys have any practicals of ways that you guys continue to teach yourselves or study or learn about yeah. directing? For sure. I learned a ton from the two DGA books that they put out. Hmm. If you haven't got them and you're a director, whether you're in the DGA or not, you should. It, they are cobbled together from all the end of year conversations that they do with directors. Wow. Um, it, they're called in conversation, I, I think. Um, and it, they go all the way back through the early 90s to now. And so you'll have uh, Fincher talking about the social network and you'll have, um, Kevin Costner talking about dances with wolves and there's two volumes. They're thick. They go through every process of the, of the directing game and they have, um, just a hundred thousand analogies and little stories about directing. And I picked up so much from reading those two books Mm -hmm. Um, I highlighted the shit out of them and they will be on my shelf for the rest of my directing career because it's all the greats talking about good stuff. To to kind of jump off that as well, during the making of our first feature, I ended up, um, I kept a little notebook and just wrote as many, before we we shot the film, talking with people, whether it was production designers, whether it was DPs, whether it was other directors, just little takeaways little lessons and i just wrote down yeah. it could have even been a youtube video of jj abrams yeah. talking about you know making star wars or something and i just write down little lessons and i ended up having uh, a col- collection of sort of 500 personal bits of advice from people that have done it before and so after making our first film i kind of added my own perspectives, the wow. lessons we'd learned from our first film. And so I've just, I've just kept that. And I think even stepping into our second film, I'm going to re- reread it all and everything. Because every time you're on set, you, you kind of feel like you're starting again <laughs> in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like, oh, I've forgotten how to direct. It's like uh, bad Chinese food, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like you really fucking want to do it, you know? Yeah, but afterwards, definitely. you're like, fuck, I you're like, completely. <sighs> Why did I not remember that? Yeah. Um, I remember how 
terrible this was. <laughs> yeah, man, did you I, guys I, did you guys lose a ton of? Was there any uh, in the making of it? I always like to ask. Like, was there any sort of like physical transformation oh, yeah, that you yeah. guys went through? Absolutely, it's a, it's a marathon. That was one of those pieces of advice that John's talking about. Yeah. That it is like. It is an absolute marathon. You have to sleep right. You yeah. have to eat right. Um, you have to have an assistant. I mean, hopefully you're in a position where you can, but like a director's assistant on set that is like bringing you food. And because you are just in this movie yeah. a thousand percent. Mm. And I think you need to remind yourself that you also live in the world and that you mm. need to do certain things to stay healthy. And so, yeah, we lost a ton of weight. Um, we came back and slept for an eternity. Um, yeah, it was, it was everything they said and, and more. But you yeah. do realize it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you really got to prepare mentally and physically for your shoot, which for us was 47 days all up. And then we were in the edit for seven, eight months, maybe more. Um, and then in post for a whole bunch so it's just it's it's a it's a huge time commitment and what we experienced was we stepped away from commercials for a good two and a half almost three years because we did not want to be those directors that sort of had the film finished for them by anyone else right by whether, yeah. whether yeah. it was your yeah. crew whether it was your producers stepping in um we wanted to be there from conception to to completion and that unfortunately took a, a lot of time and out of our day jobs as commercial directors. Um, we even sort of took a hit a little bit of people forgetting who we were because we were just gone for so long. But we really cared about that first film and wanted it to be um, right. Off camera, boys, um, and you feel free to include this, um, three pieces of advice for making your first feature. Christian's like, motherfucker, I already made it. Like, oh. I could have used this, bro. Come on. Um... <laughs> cast it well and know that you can take some shots if you impress big celebrity cast with your passion and with the um the, the potential cool factor of your project because of how you speak about it you can you can get them yeah um get yourself a uh Clone. Get yourself, get yourself a clone. Clone. You guys have that. Yeah, um, of course. Get, get yourself a um a powder that can keep you awake. And I'm not talking about anything that's illicit. I'm talking about natural stuff that keeps your mind sharp while you're making a movie. Yeah, because some you can work out. You can yeah, some you can lose it. You can lose it on set and and you can be on your 40th day doing a night shoot and zombie your way through your movie. Mm, and so yeah, yeah. anything you can do to keep your mind sharp and and in the moment is is great. And, that can and be, our assistant that can be as simple as, that can be as simple as just watching movies while you're yep. making a movie and just rem can, reminding yourself about cinematic moments and you love and how it all is going to come together at the end of the day. Yep. Do you guys write your own stuff? Uh, yeah, we do now. We, uh, we, we didn't prior, but we do now. I was just curious, like, I, you know, I've been in like kind of writing mode for like almost four years now on different projects. And it's, it's always interesting being deep in like 
working through your own material and then watching a movie and being like, oh, that's how you make a movie. You know what I mean? Like you watch a movie and you realize like, oh, I don't like have to include all of that. I can kind of go from like the end of that conversation to like maybe like the middle of that conversation. You know what I mean? And it's like just like such a reminder to be like, it's not like a novel. Yeah. Dude, that's the biggest thing I I learned from having to do like, the year of post on the movie is like more times than not, not always, but maybe you guys might have an opinion on this, but more times than not, I would be continually cutting the beginning and the ending out of a scene. Just keep going until it's like, cause it's weird, man. Like it's weird how the, the audience brain works in which they connect dots that you don't get in real life exactly exactly bro that was a 100 percent something that we learned and we had no place to learn it before we did a long you know feature its own thing is that when the amount of stuff that hits the cutting room floor you have to be smart with yourself if you've got a limited budget cut that shit beforehand um do what do that editing prior and cut pages get into scenes halfway and leave before they're finished like yeah there, yeah. is, there is transitions. The, the, the concept of, of the transition became so much more important to us after mm. doing this film. We were in the edit for the first time. Is that, you know, now that's something I take away, but I didn't really have my head around prior, is that getting from scene A to scene B, from B, scene B to scene C is very important. And how you do it and how you transition those things rather than just scene is finished, cut to the next scene. That's lazy and it's, it's not stretching anything. But yeah. if you can if you can cut things like the way that you're saying, Christian, but also come up with ways of like, all right, now this scene smartly gets into this scene yeah. is your best friend. And it's what you're going to spend the whole time in the edit trying to figure out of mm-hmm. like, what is the best way of getting out of that moment? We've now skipped this scene that we didn't even need. And then now I've got to get into that moment. And that was because- actually one of the, the tips that we got, we received from the DPs was shoot exteriors, shoot wides of locations, schedule time totally. in every location you're in to just shoot random different times of day of the house yeah. or of the field yeah. or of the yeah. woods or of flares through leaves. Just shoot that transitionary stuff because when you're in the edit, you're going to be craving it. But mm. it's the yeah. one yeah. thing you yeah. don't think about going into a scene. Mm. You think about the Definitely. meat of the dialogue. You think about yeah. like blocking of the scene. You don't think about how to get from scene A to scene B. That's yeah. one thing we just learned making a movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, Josh, you got through two of three, so I'll, I'll let you finish. Dude, I was going to say it if you didn't. I was like, okay, he doesn't want to hear the third one. But that's all good. <laughs> no, I'm here. Um, okay, third one off the top of the dome. Um, okay, lean into your friends and family screening. Mm. Um, you will oh, hear things you don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. You are going to want to fight it with everything in your being. But there is going to be a lot of shit and there's going to be some stuff that really resonates. There is going to be the occasional nugget that's going to make your movie better. There is going to be things in there that you that has been like annoying you in the back of your mind that you don't want to admit to yourself and someone else is going to say it and you're going to hear it in a different way and you're going to go, they're right. And most we, importantly, we you're just going to be sitting in a room with other people watching your movie and your ass is going to tense up in those moments that you know are weak. 
and, yep. yeah, and yeah. You, you know in your heart of hearts that you may not admit it to anyone but that's the weakest yep. spot and you're going to see people go quiet you're going to see people go out to the bathroom in a certain moment you're going to you're going to see where the laughs yep. are you're going to see where the tears are and yep. and that in itself and, 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 is the most important thing about movie making because you're doing it for an audience yep. you're not doing it for you man at the end of yep. the day you're doing it for other people to experience and so yeah it was the hardest thing for us is is sitting in the room with other people and letting them be honest about your your story and, and and admitting to you you might be right or sticking to your guns and going they don't get the big picture and if i do that i'm actually messing up my house of cards and so i'm not yeah, going to do yeah, that yeah. it's all but but just being open to it and and there were definitely moments where people came up with ideas for scenes even for additional shooting that our heart said no 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 we're not doing that to our movie to our little baby movie and then you try it or you talk about it with the editor and your other director and you say you know what they might be right and if you're open to it you can make your movie better dude we need to just do a whole other episode on uh, what you guys have <laughs> coming up <laughs> yeah well i did i did want to talk about that a little bit because i'm interested in how you guys were i tried to touch on it before but um it's just it's really interesting to me peers of mine of what inspires them to inject their entire world into a story and where you get your stories from and all of that type of stuff i think it's super interesting and i know me and john that the thing that we've grown better at in the last four years is collecting ideas and yeah we used to be okay at it and we've had a couple dreams here and there that we've told each other and then gone, that's a movie. And then that's turned out to be like on the Baker Brothers slate of like, that's an idea we'd love to do sometime. Yeah. But recently in the last four years, we've kind of knocked it into overdrive and been like, yeah. anytime you have that feeling of, oh, that's a cool movie talk about it right now like like yeah, discuss yeah. it let's, yeah. let's like it's honestly let's unearth all the gold it's the secret source honestly because you're going to have the opportunity whether seldom or whether regularly walking into a room with people that can open doors for you or close doors for you that's this business right and so yeah. if you've got a team or even if you don't have a team you're going to be meeting people and Honestly, Clubhouse is the new version of that as well. I'm not saying it's the only version by any means, but it's it's one. Yeah. Of, it's added to filmmakers being able to talk to people that could ultimately greenlight something, open a door, yep. recommend you for something, send you a script to, for you to do a take on, or just say, "What do you got?" And, we, and it's, it's film. It's film festivals. It's it's uh, studio and producer meetings. It's clubhouse. It's going to a freaking bar with a whole bunch of other people that are in the industry. It's like yeah. any time that you're in a situation, and I'm not talking about being Mr. Elevator Pitch. That's annoying as hell. But like, if you're in a situation where somebody's like, "What do you guys got?" Well, what are you? What the are you interested in? in yeah. What, what are you? Yeah. Do, what are and, you developing? Does that make you cringe? It makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, I get it. To I talk. get it. I, I hate, this is where I, uh, even even in like the commercial world, but you know, it's funny in the commercial world, I'm like a little more okay with kind of walking through my ideas because they're really only on the back of 
the people's ideas that I'm talking to anyway. The agency came up yeah. with the idea in the first place. So I'm, I'm only yeah. talking about their own ideas. When it comes to like movies, I think because it's so personal to me and yeah. because I want it and care about it and I'm so passionate about it, it feels so vulnerable to like really like... I get it. It is. It is. To, to be like, well, here's my idea. I'm going to like say it in a way... I don't know. It's really hard to like want to express it. it. You know what I'm saying? Cheapen it, and and it's going to give it the gravitas that it has in my soul. I think naturally, I'm like, well, I'll just kind of give you like the little five second version because I don't like how I feel right now being this vulnerable. But yeah, you 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 have to eventually you have to get over that because unfortunately, the way the industry works. And and look, you said, does that make you cringe? The people, a certain type of executive makes me cringe. The, the, yeah. the being in a certain type of room with certain type of expectations makes me cringe. Not the idea of pitching my worth to someone that could potentially greenlight a movie for me. That doesn't make me cringe. Um, yeah. But does it make you nervous? It makes me yeah, Of course. It's the, most, it's the most awkward thing in the world if you fuck that up. But I, but I guess what I'm saying is there are really good people out there. There are really good executives yeah. out there. For, that work for great companies, bold, you know, A24, wh- whatever it is, that aren't looking for like the big bam, th- wham, thank you, ma'am, pitch, Hollywood pitch. It's like at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day, they just want to know that you are emotionally connected to yeah. the story. Yeah. You know what it yeah. needs to be. You were the right filmmaker to tell it. And it's going to be exciting and awesome and emotional. And, 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 the best, and the best pitches that we've ever done or we've ever been, we've experienced has been very casual conversations about a cool movie idea. And, yeah, and yeah. if you can, if you can get into a headspace where you have the long version, the medium version and the short version and the yeah. short version isn't cheapening your concept, you can actually pitch the hook of this thing pretty quickly and do the like fast version that's essentially, they're going to go, oh yeah, that sounds like a great movie. And you've just got to read like, human expression and like body yeah. language if they're if they're like not into it then you switch into the short version really quickly <laughs> that's that's the point of why we brought this whole thing up is yeah i think as as filmmakers that want to work you want to be creating content that's not 100 percent funded by you 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 want other people to be involved in your projects you need multiple ideas and pitches and balls in the air you need to be able to and josh and i put together we literally put together a deck that was a baker brothers tasting menu it was six or seven ideas for tv and film and we sent for one specific company tailored for one company and it was these are things that we think would be right for you that come from us literally take your pick what 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 do you like sushi do you like tacos and it was all (laughs) in there and so you need to be able to read the room have them go we're looking for real grounded character focused sci-fi and you you we've got two of those and yeah we we could bring them up right now and talk about it and get you passionate about it Um, where where i think the nerves would kick in is if i had two ideas and one of them was very very well they're both very personal i think when somebody's like what do you got it's going to feel like if I, do, if I mess this up, I'm messing it all up. If I, if I, if yeah. I tell this wrong, they're never yeah. going to go for my idea. But if you, if you see it a little more, and I'm not saying make your ideas disposable, but if you treat them a little more like I've got a bunch of cool ideas for things 
and I can pitch you the one that I've completely beat it out and written a script for. And then I can pitch you another one that's literally written on a napkin and it's the, just a dope hook. And then I can pitch you the personal one that I want to make as my Roma. Yeah. Like if you can do that, then you've just got a better chance of getting something greenlit because you, because somebody would be like, like John said, I'm after a ground of sci-fi and you're like, we got one of those and you pitch it and they either go for it or they don't, but you're going to do it in the next meeting and it might just get picked up. Yeah. And I would say in the last uh, six months to a year, it's actually been really successful for us of finding a moment where you're like, this guy's a cool guy. This is someone that I would want to be in business with. Um, I really get along with this woman, whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah. And go, this is the time to pitch that cool one that we've got. And then have them go, guys, that's a really great pitch. And you're like, yes, like you just got to find those moments. Because as a filmmaker, you want to go all in on one idea and you want to make it your opus and you want to make it personal (laughs) and you want to get it made. And that mentality can lead to... Uh, yeah. can lead to disappointment really, really quickly because if someone closes the door on that or if you wrote the script and it's gone around town and everyone's read it and, and passed, yeah. then what do you got? Then your agent's going to be like, no one likes it, dude. What, what else have you got? And so we, we realized <laughs> quite quickly yeah. that, and this was only a fairly recent thing. This was after we made our first movie. It, it was, you need multiple balls in the air. You cannot just be sculpting this one thing you need seven things. You just do. Yeah. And so, yeah. We're plate yeah. spinners. That's what it is. We're, we're making decks and pitching ideas. Yep. That's, that's what it is. And so yeah. we lately have really focused on let's find homes for these projects. Our, our biggest priority is finding the right producer to connect to a project so that yes. we are building that consecutively with building that, consecutively with writing that, consecutively with shooting that. And if you can do that, then that's how directors bounce from project to to project and continue to work in this business. What we learned quite quickly was you shoot a movie, you think that's going to lead to other things. It doesn't necessarily do that. If it's not a massive financial success and you're not the Mm. hottest thing on every list, people are just going to forget about you. And so you need to be your biggest advocate of like pushing these projects forward multiple at the same time that that's just yeah. a little bit of advice that's great to hear yeah yeah that's really helpful which christian oh, thanks jared the, uh, yeah fellas yeah. thank you christian's long deuce in the in the bathroom right now <laughs> 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 oh i'm not sure i'm not sure he t- texts me at he's got kids running around so i'm, okay. I'm not really sure but Dude, that was really fun i could uh, literally do another one tomorrow they're, yeah, they're, we'll, we'll definitely right. get on and, and do another one for sure no doubt. Yeah. Um, Whatever. It was great coming. talking to you guys. And let's, uh, I know you have Christian's contact, but I'll, I'll get that from him and I'll, I'll, uh, get y'all's emails or whatever. Um, yeah, for sure. Oh, I was just going to tell you because we talked about this on clubhouse. Uh, I watched another great making of doc. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Josh is all up on these. He knows, he knows a bunch. Of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, some was, of the, what are some of the classic ones that come to your mind when you oh, think we, about we, it? We've already talked about it on Clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, like Burden of Dreams and, and Heart of Darkness, Hearts of Darkness yeah. Yeah. are the, the, the champs, I'm, for I'm sure. I'm not even yeah. talking about feature length. Like, I'm, I'm talking about like the Magnolia making of. Go find Oh, that. yeah, that's a great one, though. Yeah, it's a great one. It's a great one. one. Um, uh, it's a great one. There's, uh, there's an amazing one. I have it saved on Dropbox. I'll send it to you guys. It might be on 
YouTube, I'm not sure, but there's a loss in translation one where it's just like kind of production diaries. It's like 30 minutes. Dude, anytime I like kind of get burnt on like, you know, uh, rewriting like this certain scene or character descriptions or something, I just like watch this little 30 minute doc. Right. And it makes me like fall in love with the idea of making movies again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta see that. It's the best. It's the best. Amazing. Um, but I watched yeah, this really one. I watched this one called uh, Final Cut. Well, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, it's called Final Cut. Uh, I forget the full name of it, but it's about Heaven's Gate. Um, have you ever seen Heaven's Gate before? Or heard of it before? Basically, yeah, it's like the biggest it. box office flop in the history of Hollywood. Wow. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the uh, everything that led to, to that and how it happened. Yeah, because uh, as we all know, no one sets out to make a bad movie. So. Gosh. It's like yeah. everyone has the it's, best intentions, whether your taste he, level is off or whether, you know, everything is off. Well, he had just won the director. I forget his name now, unfortunately, but uh, he had just uh, won the Oscar for uh, Deer Hunter. And then this was his next mm-hmm. film. And so he so had like a, a lot of. Yeah, he had like. I, have to, I put it on. Are you guys on Letterboxd? Do you ever do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to look there. Um, let me find it real quick. It's called Final Cut, The Making and Unmaking of Heaven's Gate. Oh, wow. And it's all on YouTube. Awesome. It's like oh, an hour. Great. Well, it's I'm on I, will, I will plug our, um, our home entertainment release behind the scenes. We did, for Ken, we yeah. ended up doing an uh, eight-part um, making of that talked about every aspect from... from pre to shoot to post to, to music it's it's on the uh whatever you buy dvd or, or blu-ray yeah, yeah. Of, of kin we can get you one but yeah we ended up doing we wanted to sort of check boxes and do bucket list stuff as as filmmakers and so recording sure. the director's commentary was a big deal for us um doing the little behind the scenes making of and not just something that you see studios do for you but really being involved in the producer of that and like building the content and and supplying the right material um and then we ended up doing a hour-long discussion with kevin smith uh the daniels uh dan trachtenberg a lot of filmmakers that are from our amazing our our sort of world but also uh, classic guys like kevin smith and we talked about the sort of the making of making ofs, you know, and like the, 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 yeah. the, the <laughs> yeah. special feature building the special features of a movie and how important yep. that was for our film school and our learning yeah, as, as totally, directors and, and going through all the way from laser discs into DVDs, into Blu-rays and how now they've kind of petered off a little bit. And a lot of yeah, movies are being yeah. made that don't have, posters that don't have blu-rays that don't have bizarre director's commentaries and and we kind of scraped in it right at the end there of a changing (laughs) industry from from theatrical to streaming and so Mm. we got to do that for our home entertainment release we're really proud of it and i uh, love that yeah check it out if you ever definitely check it out i I I hope we get to the point where uh, streamers decide they want even more content and they want to keep you on their streaming platform for longer and that they do start making that the norm. I know there's a few of them 
saw some stuff on Hulu for Nomadland. They included that. Uh, Disney Plus cool. yeah, definitely yeah. includes some stuff. But there's no reason why they can't have a version of the movie with a director's commentary. There's no yeah. reason why they can't have an extensive special features behind the scenes and have that just sitting underneath the movie. There is zero reason. I'm no, you're so right. I, I mean, I, I was in... get on it, man. Netflix yeah, needs exactly. to do that. It's, it would be so I'm easy sure they all to navigate. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, I went to film school and, you know, did that whole thing, but so much of my education was, yeah, like you're talking about listening to commentaries Definitely. or 100%. whatever. 100%. Um, yeah. I'll Definitely. check it out though, for sure. Um, one, one, I feel like there was one that that feels like a behind the scenes but it was it was actually a feature um have you guys seen chaplin um robert downey jr no i've never seen that before Charlie no. chaplin. so i saw that i've always wanted to see it um it was one of the dvds that i bought that never came out of the plastic um everyone's mm-hmm. got one of those yep um and so i threw it on the other day and it was really interesting to kind of s- dive into the story of charlie chaplin as a character yeah. and how he made made movies coming from the silent era into talkies and yeah and what that must have felt like from a personal level, which you just don't get unless you read his autobiography or whatever. Um, and yeah, it, it broke down all the classic Tramp movies of Charlie Chaplin, which I was yeah. super intrigued about. And the more they showed the like them making this moment and then them making this moment, it felt like I was in a behind the scenes for all That's of awesome. that era yeah. of features. But you're getting it obviously as Robert Downey Jr. instead of the actual Charlie Chaplin, but yeah, what a life. Like it went, it went through such a specific era of people discovering what this movie thing is and then it graduating to the next level and leaving a whole slew of people behind. And and when the talkie came up, you had all these comedian directors that would have the, you know, like the Benny Hill style, like as everyone's running around and it's all fast motion and it's comedy based and people are getting hit in the head and all of that stuff kind of took a hit to more narrative ideas with dialogue. And, and so Charlie Chaplin really struggled going from one to the next and was like kind of held off like, no, we're not doing a talkie. And then he ended up doing a handful at the later period of his life and one of them being the dictator which yeah. uh is on amazon or, or hulu or whatever it's it's i have never seen it but i've seen that famous scene at the end where he's basically playing a adolf hitler type doing Dude, one there's of the a scene in that movie where he's on top of a desk and there's a blow up globe that he's just like kicking up yeah. into the air. It's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and that's in the movie, that's in Chaplin where he's yeah. like laying on the desk and kicking it up yeah, and then it yeah. comes back. And it's so perfect because Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton both had this like- I'm a big Buster fan. Yeah, yeah dude, it's the best. And like Jackie, talk about Jackie Chan stuff. Like these guys were like embodied that perfection of performance. Yes. Yes. Where like we're not going to stop until we get on camera the perfect take yeah. and yeah. everything he did and including that little subtle moment of the ball coming down and floating and him like <laughs> hitting it back up again was yeah. like oh, I love it. It's it's interesting uh, to see an industry evolve like that and then yes. the comparison of that to to today with streaming and theatrical and how yeah. movies are made and 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 the decisions that filmmakers have of like. Yep. Do you care about people sitting in a movie theater and watching your stuff, or you just want to get this thing made? And there are pros and cons yeah. for each. And we found ourselves not talking about that when Kin was being made, 
but every project since definitely yep. is a discussion. Yep. And I think, yep. as I said before, we slipped in right at the end of an era where we got an international like wide release. We were in IMAX. We were in 90% of the countries in the world. We, we were screening in Cambodia, Iceland, like our families in Australia seeing our movie. Like that, that was such a blessing yeah. for a filmmaker to sort of have an audience be able to see your film the way you wanted it to be seen. But today it's like, you're asking yourself questions like, well, if we go to Netflix, we could get, you know, 60 mil to do this film. Whereas we're <laughs> never going to get that for right. a theatrical release. So it's just a very different era. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, it is, it's, it's it just changes the conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like and the priority. It's like black and white films going to color. It's like, you know, silent films going to talkies. It's, it's, just the evolution of how we watch stories and yeah get on board that's yeah unfortunately it's something that comes up we have you have to be aware of it you have to talk about it and make the certain decisions yeah. about it don't forget this season of good is sponsored by music bed Go to musicbed.com to check out over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music. And remember, as a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com slash good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. And do not forget to take advantage of features like shoots and scenes. Craft an entire narrative with extensive collections featuring the same talent and settings. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com.